the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Deep Rising, starring Treat Williams, Famke Johnson, and Wes Studi. What's up, everybody? Boy, oh boy, do we have a treat for you this week. A treat, Williams, that is. Oh, oh boy. Uh, Welcome to Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team. Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C, joined with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snackage Schaefer. My man, why don't you, really quick, tell us what the next movie is that we're going to be breaking down and reviewing is after this one. Okay. I'm just going to talk like this all night, though, just so you know. Like, annoying tooch in this movie we're going to break down. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Um, the next movie we will be doing in the Treat Twofer series will be the box set of Everwood. <laughs> oh, my JK, God. JK, LOL. <laughs> No, sorry. It will be the 70s musical Hair. <laughs> I actually like that. It's really good. But no, in all seriousness, the next movie we will be breaking down following this one will be the 80s camp cult classic Dead Heat, Zombie Cops with Joe Pissed Off Capo. <laughs> That's right. The cult movie gods have graced us with a double feature of Treat Williams. Now, I say the gods did that because Zach and I already had Dead Heat planned for our next movie. Uh, Zach was already planning on breaking it down because we both ordered that 4K copy of it, and uh, and it just came out. But Zach pulled from his stack of like 10 movies that he has all wrapped waiting, you know, uh, to be done from the past like almost a year and a half at this point. And the movie that he pulled is Stephen Summers' Deep Rising. And so that, I mean, that's just perfect. So we're going to start with Deep Rising, which is actually my favorite Treat Williams film. And then next, uh, in two weeks, we are going to be tackling Dead Heat. And the funny thing is, and I probably will reiterate it then, but it's funny that we're tackling Dead Heat in our third season because it was in my head as like one of the movies 
that kind of incepted podcasting after dark up there with, you know, heavy metal, which we already covered hardware, which we already covered and maybe a handful of other ones. But in that handful was dead heat. And here we are, you know, two and a half years later, actually covering it. But uh, I'm excited to dive into dead heat, but we're not there yet. Again, we're on deep rising this week. And Zach, what is your uh, acquaintance with deep rising? I saw this movie in the theater. I was so excited to see it. I remember the trailers. I'm a huge Treat Williams guy, and I loved the cast when I saw who was in it. Um, so I remember seeing it opening night, and I believe I'd have, I believe it was the Sunnyvale Town Center in Sunnyvale, California. Um, I could be wrong. My might have might have been the Meridian Quad. Anyways, uh, yeah, I was so excited to see this when it first came out so utterly disappointed by the CGI effects. <laughs> um, and, and I haven't seen this movie in decades, but just watched it again recently, obviously because of tonight. And, oh man, I have so many like mixed feelings about it <laughs> uh, in good ways and in kind of like not shitting on ways, but more just like, you could have done that better kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and I can't wait to break that all down. But man, yeah, that's my connection with it. How about you? Did you see it in the theater? Sure did. Saw it uh, opening weekend with uh, my, my buddies, Luke and, and Jason, and I think maybe Derek was there. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you, man. It was probably one of the most fun movies that I've ever experienced in the theater with my friends. Because, like, you know, obviously we didn't know much going into it uh, other yeah. than whatever the trailer was. And, uh, and at the time... I think even then I was like, oh, Treat Williams. Uh, I know him from Dead Heat, and and that was kind of it. Because uh, I don't think Evergreen, Everwood was out yet. I think it came out after this. You never um, saw uh, Hair or um, – well, you saw him in The Phantom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, no. Really? I've actually never seen The Phantom. I was oh, thinking really? of The Shadow for a second. No, we always make fun of our friend Jeff for loving The Phantom, and all I could ever think of just was like Billy Zane looked ridiculous sitting in the jungle in, in his purple outfit. And it, I get it. I mean, I get the reference. I get the you know the point of it, but again, I thought it looked ridiculous. Was True Williams in that? Was he like the villain or something? Yeah, he was the villain in that. That movie's I actually think it's way better than it gets credit for. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I watched it now and actually liked it because I would understand more about like back we talk about it so much back then i wanted everything to be serious and 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 you know dark and gritty whereas yeah. now i actually want things to be zany no pun intended <laughs> well, so, well he it, it, it that's worth watching he did a movie right before it called things to do in denver while you're dead which yeah. is really good in my opinion um, i believe i've always heard that was one of the better post Tarant tarantino you know style films yeah, yeah, like what Suicide Kings and um, what was the other one? Um, very bad things and like you know, in six or seven days in the valley or whatever the hell that was. Yeah, or, yeah. two days in the valley yeah. and two days yodeling in the valley. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> to to yeah, never mind. But anyways, but before uh, we dive into treats, you know, complete yeah. filmography, as you're clearly excited to do, uh, I just wanted to say that. I've owned this movie on VHS, I've owned it on DVD, and I've owned it on Blu-ray. Uh, I used to watch it a ton back in the day, but like you, I kind of have, haven't seen it in like, I don't know, like 15 plus years. And while I still derive the same enjoyment from it, uh, I'm I'm with you, man. The CGI is 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 the hardest pill to swallow in this film, and uh, I don't think it looked 
that great back then, but I don't think it was as like egregious then, but now you watch it and you're like, oh man, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, that being said, I did watch on the Kino Blu-ray, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff gave me a little bit more of an appreciation for how much work was involved to get those graphics to be the way they were. And the only thing I can say positively about the CGI is that it's remarkable that they maintained a consistent look throughout because they had like four different houses, production houses, working on different parts of that CGI. So it's remarkable that even though it's not great, it still looks consistent throughout the third act. Consistently bad. Yeah, <clears throat> consistently um, bad. I, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it is it is like literally the only thing that drags the movie down. If, yeah. if anything drags it down to... Uh, or kind of takes you out of it for yeah. a moment, like the explosion at the end where they're uh, launching out of the ship on the jet ski, and you're and they're like, you know, five shades lighter than yeah. the rest of the screen that they're on. It's just like, oh, come on! It, it's really the CGI is for a big budget movie is probably the worst CGI I've seen for a big budget movie. So that's where I'm actually going to push back on you a little bit because the budget is for this was budget? only was only about 40 mil. Uh, oh, at the time, okay. it was actually, uh, this movie's considered one of the first low budget movies to use um, CGI or lower budget films because before it was stuff like Jurassic Park, things like that, Toy Story. Uh, this represents one of the lower budget films that actually can utilize the same gear and the same equipment that these other studios used, but of course they didn't have the time or the the crew that re- to do it to make it look as good as Jurassic Park. But this kind of has a weird place in history as as a representation of CGI becoming more uh, accessible to lower budgets. Oh, that's that's cool to know. That's cool to know. So I, I'll say it's it's the worst CGI for the for a low budget. <laughs> Big studio movie. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it doesn't. I don't think it ultimately takes away no. from the fun of the movie in, in, in any way, shape, or form. However, uh, you just look and you're like, man, just maybe fire one of the uh, villain actors and and put that money towards the CGI. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. Rid of Billy. No, Billy had a go- cool death. And also, one thing I never knew uh, was that Rob Bottin actually, or his studio, worked on this film, uh, specifically wow. uh, the Billy death scene and uh, the the famous one where, you know, it's kind of he's half melted and everything. And that, too, holds sort of a, a dubious distinction of being one of the first times that they sort of married practical effects and, and added, like, CGI with it. And I think that actually holds up the best in this movie of of the you know the 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 CGI because there I is agree. still a lot of like you know practical effects like the the gooey bodies and stuff and that all yeah. looks great but it's and I'm with you 100% man it doesn't the CGI does not bring the movie down at all but it makes you wish that like why can't somebody just take this movie and do what they did with the old Star Trek film uh, TV show and just do a new layer of CGI over the bad, you know, practical effects they used to use back in the day. And they just created like they would do the same shots, just put a layer over it. Why doesn't someone just do that with this? I they guess- should now because it's it's worth doing. It would it would elevate this movie, I think. I agree. I think it would. And I guess the answer is that there's probably no money in it because even though this movie had a forty four million dollar budget, it only brought in like thirteen million. So it yeah, was it a tanked. Yeah, it tanked. It tanked. It, you know what? It tanked so bad 
uh, that Disney, because, you know, I think this was like a Hollywood Pictures movie, which is a subsidiary yeah. of Disney, they allowed other production companies to reuse some interior shots from this movie for like other movies, you know, for inside of boats and stuff. And they would just reuse interior shots. And even Steven Somers would like see it pop up and he's like, why is Deep Rising in this movie here, you know? But they had to recoup their loss. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So um, diving in to the cast and crew, right? Uh, this movie is a who's who of character actors from the late 90s. Literally, it's it's all the guys that were almost an A-level actor. You know, they almost made it. And it's, it's, it's amazing because I love each and every one of them. Now, I'm with you. Maybe the cast was a little bit bloated, but... I think this movie is just fun from beginning to end, and I think the cast has a lot to do with it because these are fantastic actors basically acting in a big-budget B-movie creature feature. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, You know, obviously, Treat Williams is the star, and he's been in so many movies uh, from the 70s on, and, you know, if anybody is, like, looking and saying, well, what's a good what were a couple good Treat William movies to see? Um, and like maybe ones you wouldn't expect. You know the movie Flashpoint with yes. uh, Chris Christopherson, and I believe Miguel Ferrer is in it as well. And Kurtwood Smith is in it. It's a great like thriller uh, crime drama. Tangerine Dream did the music for that. Yeah. Um, he was in a movie called, um, well, a made for, well, a, a, a another B-level horror film called Night of the Sharks, which is actually a pretty decent Italian horror film, a shark movie in the late 80s, worth checking out. And he was in a great made-for-TV movie miniseries called uh, The Drug Wars, the Kiki Camarena story, which is about, you know, the the drug wars in the 80s, and he was one of the main guys in it with, like, Craig T. Nelson and um, uh, Stephen Bauer, and Miguel Ferrer again, but uh, and Benicio del Toro. It's a great made-for-TV movie. Anyways, more about Treat in Dead Heat when we get to that. Well, okay. But, so, well, let me ask you this, and, I, and and we can either talk about it now or in Dead Heat. But why did, was Treat Williams not a bigger star? I, I look at him, and I'm like, he he's got the look, he's got the acting ability. Um, he's got everything. It's, you wonder why did his trajectory not be like Harrison Ford or something? I think because he looks so much like all those other guys who he looks like exactly like Harrison Ford. They already get Harrison Ford. So if, you know, if you already got Harrison Ford, you don't need Treat Williams. The irony to that statement is, is that Harrison Ford was originally attached to this project and and turned it down and they went with Treat Williams. And also because of that, the studio cut the budget in half. So once they lost Harrison Ford, they lost a huge part of their budget. I mean, that that's pretty much says it all right there. And like, he's your poor man's Harrison Ford, you know, And, and, and while I love him and I think he's great in everything that he's in. Um, he doesn't have, there, there is like a little bit of an X factor there that doesn't, doesn't push him over the, over the finish line, like as fast as you would say Harrison Ford. And I I mean, that's the only one that comes to my mind as well, uh, at the moment, but I think that's probably why he's great, but like, he's, 
He's the poor uh, man's Harrison Ford. <laughs> I think yeah, you said it. You he's know, the poor man's Harrison Ford. <laughs> poor man's Harrison Ford. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I'm always fascinated yeah. by the uh, images of Treat Williams on Hoth for the filming of Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. And I think he was dating Carrie Fisher at the time. I think that's why he was there. But uh, I don't. Th- I think he was cut from the movie. I don't. Uh, you might see him in the background somewhere. I wonder if he was on set watching Harrison Ford going, I'm a poor man's Harrison Ford. I'm a poor man's Harrison Ford. I'm wonder, an extra. I wonder if Harrison Ford was looking at Treat Williams saying, I'm the rich man's Treat Williams. Yeah, or he's looking at him going, that guy looks like a poor man of me. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah, Famke Jensen. Arguably the biggest name in this movie. Yeah, she was on fire at the time. Uh, she plays Trillian St. James. That is a terrible um, name, by the way, for, for a thief. For a peddling thief, Trillian St. James. It sounds like a dude's name. Uh, and but and that's really my, quick, yeah. little factoid. Uh, originally cast was Claire Filani, who we know from Mallrats. Uh, she oh. apparently did about three days worth of shooting and then uh, stormed off the set over creative differences. Good call, because I totally can't see her in this role. She probably yeah. would look like a 17-year-old compared to Treat Williams. Yeah. A little statutory going on there. Agreed. Um yeah, no, I mean, she was on fire. Jean Grey and the X-Men came out uh, maybe a, a year or so after this, and she was in GoldenEye, which is one of the more popular of the Bond, the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Arguably the most popular of the later generation Bond films. Definitely, definitely with the video game, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, Anthony Heald, and I'm just going in order of like the way IMDb lists them, Anthony Heald plays Simon Canton. Uh, I think most people would recognize him from Silence of the Lambs. I every time I see him, I always think of him from that. Yeah, you know he's he's a he's a good like villain. He was also in uh, X Men as well, one of the X Men movies, X Men United We Stand. I think, or the, <laughs> sorry, The Last Stand. Oh God, I think that's X Men Three, the one that literally Fox decanonized. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to Marvel taking that franchise over. Yeah, me too, buddy. Me that, honestly, of the new stuff, First Class is the only one I really like. Yeah, they're rough. Speaking of bad CGI uh, <laughs> yeah. for big budget movies or medium budget movies. Kevin J. O'Connor plays Joey Pantucci or Tooch. Um, arguably the most annoying voice, I would say, uh, for any actor. This is voice just grating on my ears. Okay, okay, so I I know that, and I get that. I totally get that. But for some reason, ever since The Mummy, he played Benny in The Mummy, I've loved him. And... I, with a complete understanding that his voice is annoying and I completely understand if someone doesn't like him. But like someone like, I don't know, a John Lovitz, where they have kind of like a one-shtick thing, I like Kevin J. O'Connor's thing. And he never gets annoying to me. And this is probably my favorite role of his. But, but that being said... Dude, if you say you, he annoys you, I totally fucking understand. What I'm going to say is, I don't know why he doesn't annoy me. Well, his character doesn't annoy me. It's his voice. I, no, I understand. Totally get it. Totally understand. And, and I'm just like, yeah, I think, I think, uh, because Stephen Summers did The Mummy as well, right? Yes, yes, he did. Then we'll talk yeah. about Stephen Summers after we're done with the cast. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's a big part of it, too. Yeah, I think there's there's something about like he's he's constant comic relief, even in like 
in, in, in moments that are supposed to be really terrifying. And I'm just like, man, can I just enjoy the fear for a minute while you're like rattling off? Can I have a gun? Why can't I have a gun? Which is like Gilbert Gottfried in not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, like, you know, watching this movie now, I realize that it's, <laughs> It's such like a storytelling cliche of the times. Like this yes. movie, even totally. though um, the Mummy came out after it, so this this is like first. The, the St- Stephen Summers' style is very much that '90s action horror style where you have to have all these beats like you know there's the comic relief that's that's him there's you know the the one african-american guy mason in this movie and he's of course like oh man i'm too scared you know like it has like all these stereotypes and if anything you know you look at some of the stuff and you cringe but if anything it's definitely like a good representation of how you know stories and movies were structured back in the late 90s yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You hit the nail on the head. I think it's also another reason why I was just like, oh, I I feel like I wish, in some ways I wish this was made 10 years earlier to take a little of the comic stuff out, just a little bit, uh, and to add to the intensity because, boy, oh, boy, is it intense when it gets intense. Yeah. But um, speaking of intense, Wes Studi plays Hanover. One of my favorite West Studi roles, and and I uh, love West Studi. Obviously, Last of the Mohicans and Heat come to mind. Yeah, West Studi is a tremendously talented actor. He oh, I I adore West Studi. I think he's fantastic, and I am a hundred percent with you. This is probably my favorite West Studi role. Um, I loved him in in Heat, but he has so much more to do in this movie. And uh, not gonna lie, too, it's also my favorite looking West Studi. I agree. Me too. Um, he's great. He's great. I, I, in fact, like this is a departure from what I'm used to seeing him in. So it was just nice to see him in a different role. Agreed. So good. Um, Derek O'Connor plays Captain Atherton. I've recognized him from a bunch of different things. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2. He was one of the bad guys in that, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that you look at his credits, and you're like, oh, I've seen a gazillion movies with him, but I couldn't like pinpoint him, yet I recognize his face. He looks a little bit like David Twothy to me, you know, yeah. from uh, yeah. Island of Dr. Moreau, the, the terrible version yeah, <laughs> of yeah. Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, Jason Fleming, I love this dude. Uh, he plays uh, Mulligan. And he's been in a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think he was in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, But one movie I want to point out that he was in that I think he's fantastic in that doesn't get a lot of uh, credit ever is a George Romero movie. One of the few non-zombie George Romero movies that, that I love. It's called Bruiser. Oh, okay. Came out the same year as Snatch. It came out in 2000. Uh, if you've never seen Bruiser, definitely worth watching. Okay, no shit. Okay, yeah. And and J- Jason uh, Fleming, yeah, he he was like the bad guy in everything in the late '90s and the 2000s and everything. And you know, if you don't know who he is, he 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 was the guy who played um, uh, Mr. Hyde or whatever in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that yes. terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, go go watch him in uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch yeah. and Bruiser. You, you know him. You know him if you saw him. Yeah, no doubt. Cliff Curtis plays Mamuli. Another great actor. I mean, everybody knows. Yeah, he's been in so many things. I Just particularly so liked him things. in Sunshine. 
yeah, I love that movie. That's Me too. uh you know, to to another uh that's a Danny Boyle movie. A multi-genre film cuz that movie goes from sci-fi to horror to action. It's it's all over the place in a good way. Yeah, uh, make that a double feature with Event Horizon. You have a good old space evening. Fuck yeah, bro. That's sure. a good one. Yeah. Uh Clifton Powell plays Mason. And he was in, uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Rush Hour, Next Friday, Ray. Um, he, I mean, he's more of a character actor, uh, supporting actor, but he's he's really good in this, actually. I think he's pretty he's pretty entertaining. Yeah, I actually kind of like the Mason character, uh, to be truthful with you. Uh, can, can I do this one, buddy? Oh, please do. Un- unfortunately, he's no longer with us, though. Yeah, man. Trevor Goddard, he plays T-Ray. But I will forever know him as Kano from the 1995 Mortal Kombat film. Um, I loved him in that movie. I love him in this movie. Uh, at the time, I was a, I was weirdly like really into this guy. I thought he was freaking awesome in, in the late 90s. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2003 at the age of 40. I believe it was something like not good. Like, I think it was something like mental and emotional. Suicide. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it, the thing is, man, I fucking loved this dude. And, and I watch this now and he's one of my favorite characters. He dies pretty quickly, but he just has such a presence on screen that I just, I wish he would, I wish he was still alive so we could interview him and talk to him and see, you know, how his career would have evolved over time. But he's awesome in this movie. He's like, to me, he's like, what if Colin Farrell was, was like, totally roided up or hgh that would be him basically he yeah. looks like that to me that's and i don't mean that in a bad way you yeah. know that sounds terrible no. um but but he's such a menacing dude and yeah it's too too bad that his life was cut short um really great though yeah should have i would have kept him alive longer than some of the other guys yeah in this movie yeah i think i think once you cast him as t-ray i think they should have done some swapping of of characters because i think it would have been fun to watch him make it a little bit longer and be a bit more of a thorn in people's sides yeah agreed agreed uh, another thorn in people's sides is uh jimon honsu plays vivo who <laughs> of course that's uh from guardians of the galaxy who <laughs> and he's right. great in that movie by the way yeah he was he, i think at one point he was like a, a male uh fashion model yeah. that was like living in his car um and and got discovered by steven spielberg's crew okay. because he was in um uh, amistad that was his first movie he did yeah, and I think nowadays you can see him in like he he's in the Kingsman, you know, the newest movie. So oh, he's, he's in everything. Yeah, he's he's, everything. he's working like a mofo now. Yep, Una Damon plays Layla, and <laughs> she she's been in a ton, like everything. But she always I remember her in, I think in Deep Impact and in the Truman Show she's like behind a counter or uh, behind a monitor like helping out whoever's in charge or something. Yeah, and on Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think season one, she plays uh, an NBC executive. But it's telling when, you know, uh, the number one movie on her, on IMDb, you know, because it, it goes by popularity, is uh, Deep Rising. Nice. Well, that's impressive. Well, she's yeah. got a great role in it, and she's, she's really good. I like her. Uh, l- rounding out the kind of bulk of the cast is, is, uh, is Clint Curtis, who plays Billy, and... He's, I mean, not anything huge. Um, he was in one of the Blade movies, so there you go. 
Yeah, and he was in the Mexican, but nothing nothing major, which is weird because I actually kind of liked him in this movie. I thought he had a bit of a presence. He had a cool voice. He kind of his eyes were interesting and everything. He had a good look about him, you know, but just just like with Treat, it's like why why doesn't why do some people not click, you know? I think when you when you're homogenous and you look like everybody else out there, then there's, you know, a million people trying for the out for the same job. It's it's just the way it is. It's tough. But to to kind of cap all this off, Stephen Summers wrote and directed this movie, did he not? He did, which is pretty damn impressive. Um, you know, th- this was right before he did the Mummy, and arguably, like that was clearly you know his his big winner uh, that just shot him up to to stardom. You know, and then he did the Mummy Returns, he did Van Helsing, um, and then oh god, GI Joe, <laughs> oh god. Yeah, I mean, look. I, I'm I'm not. I promise you guys, I will not be shitting on this movie tonight because I really enjoy it. But it, it's just a. It's and you said it earlier, like the stereotypes or the cliches. If this was like the kind of beginning of that, um, I don't know, man. It just doesn't work for me. It's like that that style never really played well with me. Like the constant comedy. It's like they took moments from Die Hard and they're like, those were funny moments. Let's just make every scene like that funny moment you know or a lethal weapon you know let's take that one funny moment and just like multiply it by 10 versus like staggering it out enough you know it's just like the constant comic relief it's really fun but then also too it gets a little tiring now what are your thoughts on the mummy did you did you enjoy that movie at the time uh is it something you ever go back and revisit or do you sort of feel the same way as, as you do about this I like this one way better because I may be in the minority on this, but I'm not a Brendan Fraser fan. Yeah. I know people are like, oh, my God, the guy got so big and you got to appreciate him now. No, I don't. I mean, I'm happy for the guy if he's got success, but I've never liked him. And see, no man, he drove me nuts. I'm just like, this guy doesn't have it for me. I, like, I'm sorry. The only movie I liked him in was School Ties because he wasn't acting like a goofball. Everything after that was a goofball. I, you know what's funny, bro? I'm on the exact same page as you with Brendan Fraser. I- I'm happy that like you know he he's he's alive and he didn't like succumb to to his demons or whatever. Uh, you know, unlike Trevor Goddard. But I was never a big fan of Brendan Fraser. That being said, the movie I actually like him in is The Mummy. So maybe <laughs> I think I like Stephen Summers' style I think better you than like you do. Summers. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, and 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 it's it look it's like. Uh, you know, some people like orange chicken. Some people like beef and broccoli. Kung Pao. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> beef and broccoli. But, but I'm with. Go. But I'm with you. I would rather watch Deep Rising than watch The Mummy. But then The Mummy is my favorite version of, or my favorite Brendan Fraser film. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I'm not a big school fan ties, of bro. Either. School ties all day. Yeah, school ties, man. Well. Maybe one day we'll tie that knot. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and then, uh, you know, as I mentioned, um, other behind the scenes uh, stuff, you know, Rob Bottin's, uh worked on it. Uh, some some guys uh, from ILM worked on it. So there was a pretty impressive pedigree. Interns? <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. So, dude, I'm talking like, it's funny, like, like big names at ILM like worked on this and really, but I just, I just think that it just goes to show when you don't have the same budget, you also don't have the same amount of time to tweak things. And also too, I think, you know, like, like you have smaller crews working on them. So they're working a lot more hours, but so even though they're from ILM, it's still, 
looks like trash unfortunately yeah <laughs> it does it does i'm sorry guys i'm i'm with zach like i love this movie we both love this movie um but i'm gonna call a spade a spade and and the cgi at the end is bad but you know what that's the last you're gonna hear of it we're gonna tackle this movie with with an open heart an open mind and and lots of love but uh just man if, if you know what if I had a billion fucking dollars to spend, I would pay to have the CGI redone in this film and then put it out under the podcasting after dark movie banner. That's what I would do. Well, I'll 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 button this up on a positive note. Uh, the composer for this movie, because the soundtrack is, in my opinion, is really good. It reminded me of Hans Zimmer's The Rock a little bit. It's Jerry Goldsmith. Oh. Oh, wow. So Jerry Goldsmith is a A-level music composer. Um, you know, if you don't need to, I don't think I need to rattle off the music uh, that he scored, but he's done everything from First Blood to um, Arranger. He arranged the music for Star, uh, some Star Trek stuff, uh, Austin Powers stuff. Like he'll come in and he may not do the overall soundtrack, but he'll come in and sweeten things. Um, I mean, the guy is a, he's a legendary, uh, movie composer. Yeah, no, that's, that's fucking amazing. Wow. And you're right. The, the, the score in this movie is, is really good. And I think it really helps the, to elevate the film, you know? Um, Oh, no doubt. By the way, I learned something in, in, on the behind the scenes of this. Uh, I never knew that extras are directed by the first AD. Because if the director directed them, they would have to get paid SAG wages. Oh. I never knew that. That's it. All right, so. (laughs) All right, so. Are you ready to treat yourself with some tentacle action? I don't know, man. You ready to dive into this fucking movie? I'm ready to get into Derp Rising. I mean, Deep Rising. (laughs) Welcome to the greatest pleasure ship ever built. Good times forever! I have something here, sir. I've never seen anything like this. It's a malfunction, sir. That's impossible. Where are they coming from? I don't know, sir, but whatever it is, it's, uh, big. They answered a distress call. Where the hell is everybody? Now. They're dead in the water. I got a really bad feeling about this. The ship's infested! Let's get the hell out of here! What the hell is that? The girl from Ipanema. I don't mean to sound like a wuss, but this is starting to freak me out, man. I vote we leave. Who votes we The movie starts with text that reads, 
Far below the South China Sea lies an underwater mountain range with canyons deep enough to hide the Himalayas, deeper than any man or machine has ever explored. Throughout the centuries, countless vessels have vanished in these waters without a trace. Their disappearance has remained a mystery. Side note, I kind of love when you add some sort of weird historical background to it. It almost reminds me of um, Deep Star 6, because they kind of had that same thing, like, oh, these waters, boats would go missing and everything. And also, interesting connection, Kino uh, also put out the Deep Star 6 Blu-ray that we have. So we used uh, two Kinos and, and for podcasting after dark, and both of them were underwater monster movies. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they also have the, they use the kind of POV shot of the monster uh, going through the ocean in kind of a meh kind of way. Yeah, it, it it's so the the movie starts then after this with uh, a cool like kind of a neat shot, but it, it's it, we see the creature going underwater, going through some bones and everything, and and going through some boats, and it's a little bit of a setup, and then it shoots to the surface. But I'm with you if you were gonna spend that much time and effort on it, I feel like this intro could have been beefed up a smidge. Yeah, it should have been. Um, I mean, kind of cloudy underwater shots for the better part of 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah. Didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Smidge. (laughs) (laughs) We get the deep rising title card coming into focus. Not, not one of the worst, not one of the best, but a good solid title card. Not, uh, not, not split second. Not split second. (laughs) We see an armored speedboat racing across the ocean at night in a thunderstorm. Uh, all right, I'm just going to call this out. It's clearly shot day for night, and they, you know, compositively added, you know, rain on top of it and everything. When I was younger, it didn't bother me, but, you know, nowadays, 2022, you can definitely tell. I'm going, I, I'm, this is kind of maybe going to be a running theme throughout the night where just the colors are just don't look good like they don't match up and you're like clearly oh come on now you know well uh, is on the boat in just a second you know repairing something and and it's like come on she would have been blown off the boat at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> now i will say one of the things i do like about this movie is is, is the setup of, or the premise that we have here that you know premise treat, is great yeah the treat williams has this really cool like modified speedboat that you can tell it even has like a machine gun on the back like he's clearly like a pirate or a gun runner or something and it's it just looks cool inside and then you have these like we're gonna meet these like pirate mercenaries and there's just like a i honestly want like a prequel to this you know just to see what treat was doing with layla and joey and see what west duty and his guys were doing it's really fucking cool yeah, the the character of Finnegan, Treat Williams' character, he's he clearly is is well defined and has a tremendous backstory. And it would have been nice if this movie had made a dime. Uh, it would they probably would have made a sequel. They well, they definitely would. When we get to the end, there is a potential for a sequel. <laughs> yeah, oh, and, and we're at least a backstory to these characters. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I do love the setup. I think he's he's again a level actor who is dealing with in a B-level movie um, and, you know, makes you want to know more about who he is. Yeah. That, that's a sign of a good actor and, a good, and good writing. Agreed. Completely agreed. Yeah, so we see Tree Williams playing Finnegan. 
He's at the helm of his ship. Uh, we see Layla, played by Una Demon. She's out on the, the, the front deck of it, you know, screaming because water is spraying her and everything. Uh, you know, she's he's like looking at her and she yells, fuck you, I'm totally soaked out here. Get your crazy ass out here and help me. Finnegan says, cut me some slack. I'm working hard too, you know. And then we see that he's playing solitaire on one of the monitors, which is a fun little tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah, it is fun. Just then, his onboard radar goes out, and Finnegan yells over the comms to Joey, played by Kevin J. O'Connor, who's in the engine room, that he's flying blind up there. Joey says the radar is a little temperamental, and he needs to be gentle with it. Joey opens a circuit breaker, and it sparks as Finnegan smacks the monitor with his hand. Joey yells, are you hitting it again? And and it's, I love this comedic delivery, and Tree Williams is good at it, but he kind of, like, looks, and he's like, no, (laughs) you know? He's... Tree Williams has some good comedy in this, but you called it out. There is a lot more comedy in this movie than there is horror. But when the horror happens, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just so like if if you were in that stormy weather, and it's it's just so com- comedic to the point where it's like kind of unbelievable. At times, we're like, no, people wouldn't talk to each other like that, you know, (laughs) or maybe they would. Just then, Layla comes out of the rain as Finnegan quickly closes out his solitaire game. Uh, As she yells at Finnegan for doing the grunt work, uh, Hanover, played by Wes Studi, climbs up the ladder from the cargo hold below and asks if everything is all right. Finnegan says, just peachy. Hanover then asks if they're still on schedule, and Finnegan says, you didn't hire me for my social graces. Hanover says, we hired you for your reputation. You better live up to it. Just then, Mason, played by Clifton Powell, comes comes up from the cargo hold as well. Hanover asks, where are we? Finnegan points to a map on the screen and says, right there, middle of nowhere. Hanover then says, in our final destination, and he points right there, middle of nowhere squared. Mason gets into Finnegan's face and says, I've heard of you. Thought you'd be older. Finnegan says, like a fine wine, I'm aging gracefully. Thank you. And I think that's a very true statement because Treat Williams looks great. He does look great. He does look great. So my my only like thing in this moment is I I, I are do, are we to assume that they've only been on this boat ride for a very short period of time? Because it the Mason's character acts like he just met him for the first time and I guess that's understandable, possibly, but I'm like, wouldn't you, wouldn't these guys have known, met the captain at this point on such a small boat? So he, so in a few minutes, he's going to say, you hired me for 20 hours out and back. I guarantee you that West Studio, you know, Hanover probably set this deal up. I do guarantee you that he, Treat Williams probably met the entire West Studies crew when they were walking onto the ship for the first time. And I get the sense that that was probably about a couple hours ago. Okay. Yeah, it's just a moment where I'm just like, kind of like, almost like he just saw him for the first time. And, yeah. and I'm only going to push back a little bit too, is because Mulligan seems like he's, he's uh, uh, fin- um, Hanover's second you know, secondhand man, right-hand man. So maybe even Mulligan set it up, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mason didn't meet him until no, just now, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. but of course, you know, he goes, you know, uh, uh, Mason retorts back. He goes, you look more like a keg of beer to me, <laughs> which I thought that was, was funny. funny. Yeah. Uh, Hanover asks Finnegan if he has any questions. Finnegan says, Nope, I get paid to shut up and do my job. So I shut up and do my job. Hanover says, you're not the least bit curious as to where we're going. Finnegan adds, like the sign says, if the cash is there, we do not care. 
Hanover says, very good, and goes back down to the cargo hold. Finnegan looks at Layla, and he says, where the hell are we going? Yeah, so, um, like, the tonal shift, it's, like, super up, one-liner, 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 then then it gets, like, really serious. And I'm like, it could have, I almost wanted him to keep the comedy going if they're going to go that way and deliver, like, where the hell are we going? Like, <laughs> yeah. Versus yeah. where the hell are we going? Like, very serious. Well, knowing that Harrison Ford was originally cast for it, uh, I, you know, I didn't watch the movie with that in mind, but I would be curious now to watch Treat Williams' performance and see if maybe, like, you know, he was, maybe Stephen Sommers sort of directed him the way he would have directed, you know, Harrison Ford or something. I, I don't know. Go uh, go watch Six Days, Seven Nights with him and Anne Heche, and I think you got your answer. I saw that movie in the theater uh, because uh, the reason I went out and saw it is because Tim Morrison was the villain in it, and he played Django Fett in Attack of the Clones. And I know it came out either, maybe it was before Attack of the Clones or after, but it was somewhere around before, there. Before, I think. Before, because I, I, I think I went to see it just to see what Tim Morrison was all about. Um, I will say, while we're talking about Tim Morrison, go wa- go watch Once Were Warriors. Yeah, that was a fantastic movie. movie. Yeah, it's hard to watch at times because it's a drama. It's not a. It's not about different kind of warriors. No, but he's he's a fucking monster in that movie, and that's the movie that George Lucas cast him off for for Django Fett. Wow. So we cut to a giant cruise liner in, a, in the same thunderstorm. There's a huge party going on in the main ballroom of the ship. There's also a full casino, a band playing, people twirling fire batons, dancers. It's a wild scene, and everyone is having a great time. I mean, it's a massive scene, dude. Yeah, it's 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 a wild party. Makes you want to be on that ship for the first five minutes, and then not. <laughs> then not. <laughs> we see Simon Ken, played by Anthony Held, like you said, make a toast to the whole party from the second floor of the ballroom. Ladies and gentlemen, if I could have your attention for just one moment, please. On behalf of myself, Captain Atherton and his crew, welcome to the maiden voyage of the Argonautica! Everyone raises their glasses and cheers. Each and every one of the hundreds of men and women in service upon this vessel has but one objective, to make your dreams come true. As for myself, my entire life I have had but one dream— to create the greatest, most luxurious, most expensive pleasure boat ever built. And tonight, seeing all of you here, so beautiful, so elegant, so rich. <laughs> Everyone laughs. I realize that my dream has come true, and I thank you all from the bottom of my heart for making it so. To the Argonautica, good times forever. <laughs> good times in the next five more minutes. Yeah, until everybody goes flying. The band starts playing again, and everyone cheers. We see Trillian St. James, played by Famke Johnson, in her beautiful red dress walking through the crowd. You notice that nobody else is wearing red, so she really pops. Yeah, and she's, yeah, yeah, she she pops. She pops. (laughs) (laughs) She sees Captain Atherton talking to guests and makes her way over to him. As he's turning around, Trillian bumps into him, and he apologizes to her. We follow Trillian as she leaves the ballroom and walks out on the deck of the ship. It's raining, but it's it's covered. So, all right, guys, when I say the side deck, and I'm going to say it a lot, it's where the lifeboats are, and it's like on a middle deck, so there's a deck above her, so she's covered. But I'm going to have to, it's going to be the same set multiple times later, and I didn't know what else to call it because I don't know anything about fucking boats, so I just called it the side deck. Yeah, called it side upward. Yeah. Maybe it's the poop deck. I don't know. 
I was just going to make a MacGruber reference. I just <laughs> took an upper decker in your toilet. That's where you poop in the tank. Yeah, you don't have to explain it. I love MacGruber. Have you, by the way, have you watched the show yet? No, I no on Peacock. Yeah, I have. I haven't either, dude. I I want to, but yeah. I love MacGruber. MacGruber. <laughs> and a quick shout out to our pals over at Action Action. Uh, by the time that we're recording this, and by the time you're listening to this, they released a MacGruber episode last week. So go check that out. It's a yeah, lot of go fun. check it out. Yeah. Nice. So Trillian's outside, it's raining, but she's covered, like I said. Uh, she, she looks around, makes sure no one sees her, and she takes out the captain's wallet. She lifted it off of him when she bumped into him. Trillian takes his key card out of the wallet, then throws the whole thing into the ocean. What an asshole. <laughs> you know, it has ID and everything in it. Yeah, I'm like, you suck. I really don't care about you. But then again, I guess if the movie goes on, I start to care about her. So something worked there. Okay. But initially, I was like, fuck you. Why, why, why should we even like you? You're not cool. Agreed. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm not against what you're saying. And I think that's probably by design that she becomes more likable later. But it's, it's kind of fun in the fact that this role here, this, like, this rogue, uh, I feel like a lot of times you don't see like, a, a female play like, this kind of character in, in the movie. Like, they don't, it's, it's not written as a female. And so usually they start out like you don't really like them and then they get better. But usually in these types of, these types of movies, you know, you, you always make the females the love interest and she doesn't become one until later. And you know what? Maybe there's something there because she becomes more likable as they write her into the love interest role. True. There's something there that I, I'm trying to put my finger on. I don't really know how to do it. And maybe someone smarter than me can, but it's, 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 it's interesting. And I think it's by design and I'm with you. I don't love her in the beginning like this. I think she's a dick. You come to love me as time goes on. That's what a real relationship is all about. It grows like a flower. Right now I'm the seed. Yeah, Fonky's never been my cup of tea. I'm, I'm not sure why, but... Uh... I liked her. I really liked her in Lord of Illusions. And uh, Kevin J. O'Connor was less annoying in that too yeah and and you know what it's one of my least favorite kevin joe connor roles. Oh, i love that movie scott Bakula. oh fucking hate i feel the way about scott Bakula <laughs> the way you feel fully about brendan fraser oh wow yeah well yeah well chew on that one <laughs> i love i love me some scott Bakula. i know you do and i believe so does diallo necessary rough oh yeah because he's a quantum leap boy uh-huh quantum he's a quantum leap guy <laughs> So after she throws his wallet into the the ocean, we kind of hear something roaring off in the distance, you know, and she kind of It's like a like a, a whale call going through a strainer. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of looks and then, she, you know, she kind of scoffs it off and, and goes walking. Uh, cut back to Finnegan's boat. Uh, I wish I knew the name of Finnegan's boat so I could at least give it a name because I'm going to refer to it as Finnegan's boat throughout What's the entire called? Juicy thing. Fruit. What's it called? Juicy Fruit. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> so the boat's still it, it's called it's called Why Do These Two Fucks Wanna Work With This Asshole? Because he treats them like shit. <laughs> he does treat them kinda like shit but a little Tooch, bit. Tooch got some serious Well th- serious poon action there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean th- we're we're getting there, but like, No. Yeah, so yeah, Layla is his girlfriend, is is Kevin J. O'Connor or uh, uh, Joey Joey's uh, girlfriend, and yeah, she's 
She's way hotter than Kevin J. O'Connor. Hashtag love is blind. <laughs> there you go. Uh, down below in the cargo hold, we see Hanover's men talking to each other. T-Ray throws up and he says he hates the ocean. Uh, Vivo says that reminds him he's hungry. Billy says you're always hungry, to which Vivo replies, I'm a growing boy. Mulligan says, you're still growing? Viva says, be happy I don't eat you. I just, I track all their dialogue because I just, I think it's fun. I think they're, I think their interactions are fun. The pirates are my favorite characters in this movie. I, I think at first I was like, I don't like these guys. But then I thought, but if they were like Marines, would I be into them? Yeah, if like they, they all clearly were just hired guns for this trip. And maybe they don't really have a relationship with each other what? too much. What? Dude, I totally tracked it that these guys have been together forever. Are you crazy? So these are like that, an old school team, man. They, you know what? They were, this is the A team. They used to be a unit. Then they fucking broke away. And now they follow West Studi, man. Okay. I could see that. But I'm like, I don't know. They're like such assholes to each other. Like that's severe how, That's how bros are, man. That's how alpha bros are. Uh, I, I, and I can't stand alpha bros. So I think I was just like, oh, fuck, man. Like, And I get sick in boats. So I'm just like, if somebody was doing the shit that he was doing to me, I would have fucking put a bullet in his head a whole long time ago before that. <laughs> he tries to. He's about to, too. He yeah. should have. <laughs> he should have. And I would have been totally okay with that. Like, don't fuck with that guy. He's... For anyone who's ever gotten sick on a boat, you know how brutal it can be. So I feel you, T-Ray. So here's here's what I think. I think you and I both have the exact same love for this movie, but you and I like different things about it and then dislike different things about it. Meaning, like, I think I like shit that you dislike and you like shit that I dislike, <laughs> which is weird because then it just, but it evens out, you know? Yeah, it'll, it'll even out. <laughs> <laughs> this is wild, man. This is absolutely wild. <laughs> it's the hot take episode. Dude, I love it. That's fine, man. I, I, I think this is awesome, man. This is an awesome conversation. It's a hardware so episode. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> hardware round two. Uh, uh, Billy then looks at Mamuli, reading the book, Realizing Your Goals, and asks, what you realizing, Mamuli? He says that my goal in life before I die is to make love to a woman from every country on earth. Billy asks, like countries acknowledged by the UN or made up countries like T-Ray's country. And T-Ray says, shut your face, Billy. Australia is a country. Billy says that Australia is an island. Mulligan says, technically, it's a continent. Mamuli says he doesn't give a shit. If there's women there, he's interested. Vivo says to him, you come to my country, I shoot your ass. I love that. Is Mamuli supposed to be from New Zealand then? Because Mamuli has an Australian accent, I think. <laughs> I know, right? Because and- I'm like, well, yo, aren't you guys from the same place? And I'm going to chime in to what you're saying. Mamuli is my least favorite of the pirates. Yeah. And and if one could get cut, I would want it to be him because he is clearly the most one-dimensional because all he cares about in this movie is Poon. Yeah, and like potentially raping somebody and yeah. come on, yeah. like fuck that guy. Yeah, no, he's 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 not only is my he's my least favorite as far as like characters go he's also like my least favorite as far as like what the character wants to do but i do love cliff curtis it's just i don't like mamuli i love cliff curtis too i do i can guarantee you if there was one moment in this movie where steven summers had a, like a, a slow period and he was trapped with a female character he would have tried to rape her yeah they would have written that into the movie. Yeah. Guarantee yeah. it just to show some boob. And then he gets kicked in the crotch or something. And, you know. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree with you, dude. I, I think he's I think he's the weakest character in the bunch. Yeah. Should have been killed first. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> T-Ray asks if Mamuli talks about anything but women. Mulligan says uh, you'll have to shoot him to get him to shut up. Mamuli gets up and walks by T-Ray, and T-Ray stands up and puts his gun to Mamuli's head. Mamuli quickly pulls out a knife and puts it to T-Ray's throat. They both have, like, sort of a second there, and then they both laugh, and Mamuli kind of, you know, smacks him in the face, and they kind of, you know, part ways and everything. And, you know, it's just, like I said, it's bro shit. And, yeah, honestly... Is it any different than like a movie like Navy Seals or something? They're they're kind of broy in that movie too, aren't they? They are, but it's like these guys are clearly bad, villains. Bad guy bros. Yeah, so you know, really in some ways they're not anti-heroes. They're like you're supposed to just hate them. Yeah. Yes. So so I think that's for me a flaw because I'm like, okay, so if they're doing things that are funny, if there's like, I think we're, to me, he he spent too much time on building up the villains in kind of a funny way. Where we're supposed to want, we want to see these guys get their asses handed to them by the monster. Yeah, think, no, right? you're you're correct. Uh, none of them are antiheroes. They're just bad because bad. if they were an antihero, I think one of them would like sort of survive, you know, or something. But and they have their moments uh, of humanity here and there, but they're they're pretty much just bad guys and just there as as cannon fodder. They they have their moments and I think that's um maybe that's the area where I go. Oh, this that that's a little bit of weak writing because they could have given like Jason Fleming's character. Uh, he had a moment where he seemed like he was going to be kind of a, somewhat of a good guy. He seems a little more sympathetic. Wes Studi's character as hard as nails as he is. He's like, he, he's just focused on getting that one thing, but maybe at the same time too, he's a little, more, he doesn't want to see like uh, innocence get killed. You know, like to, I feel like they should have done that, made him a little more, more humanistic as to what happens at the end. I'm like, that's fucked up, you know, but it was comedic fodder. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no comedy in what's happening to him right now. To, yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. I know, you know exactly what, talking what you're talking about. Yeah. Where I'm like a one liner while that's going on. Come on. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> T-Ray sits down next to Vivo and looks like he's about to puke. Vivo says to T-Ray, you know what I want to eat? I'll take a couple of nice, greasy pig's feet and pickled monkey brains and one of them big elephant eyeballs, raw so they pop when you bite them. And he sees T-Ray. T-Ray looks away from Vivo, and Billy blows his cigarette smoke in T-Ray's face, causing him to throw up all over the floor. Everyone cheers. Uh, While this is happening, we see Joey sneaking past them deeper into the cargo hold. My whole thing is, man, they're puking all over uh, Finnegan's floor, you know? You know it smelled disgusting in there. Oh, of course. It's, you know, it's got, it's going to smell like sweat. It smells like Ugh. vomit. And, you know, these, you know, he was like, they were eating shit and everything. It's probably farting, you know, and whatnot. Yeah, dude B.O. Yeah. yeah. Like, brutal dude B.O. <laughs> oh, yeah. you. Got, I mean, because if you're going to be that way, because also they want maximum intimidation, you would actually not want to wear deodorant. You would want your your maximum stink, you know, to, to be Ugh. there. So Ugh. I guarantee you that cargo hold smells like this episode like balls. brought to you by smell vision it smells like balls in there i'm sure hey everybody Corey here i just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages hey everybody i'm tim and i'm dean and we're the hosts of talking back 
We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. We see Joey close the door behind him as he snoops around the rest of the ship's cargo hold. He eventually finds a long rectangular container and quietly pulls out a crowbar hidden in his pants. Got a little comedic moment where he hits himself in the chin. Just then, Finnegan's voice comes over the headset, causing Joey to drop the crowbar. And that's another piece of comedy. We hear him say, Pantucci, you're not where I think you are, are you? Joey says, hola, and Finnegan goes on, listen, this radar is still funky. I can feel it. You know how many uncharted islands are out here? Joey says, I don't know, two? Finnegan says, very funny. Wait till I crash this rig into some goddamn no-name island. Joey starts fiddling with the lock on the case and and says to Finnegan that he needs some quiet time over and out. On the bridge, Layla and Finnegan sort of look at each other. In the cargo hold, Joey opens the container and sees that there's a large torpedo inside and it's armed. He looks around and sees more torpedo cases and says, oh shit. Just then, Vivo grabs Joey from behind, spins him around and says, sort of mockingly, oh shit. He says it with such force. And then Joey says, I'm feeling a real lack of love here. So, question. When he gets called by Finnegan on his walkie... Do you think that's in an earpiece or is that like in a walkie-talkie? That was in his headphones around his uh, around his neck. Okay, so loud enough for him to hear it. Which is if... what I th- why I think Vivo came in because he probably heard it. Okay, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then, then when he opens up the rocket, the rocket rises up. Mm-hmm. And then like he, he talks at the yeah. rocket. Yeah, he's like, I hit you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Like, come on. That line... <laughs> is the one time that I hate Kevin J. O'Connor's <laughs> delivery. And that's the moment where I'm like, I get why people don't, if they don't like him. Like, it's that line. I get it. I hate it. I hate it when he says hit you. You know, he's holding the crowbar. I can't stand it. It's just it. like, to me, it's like, yeah, it's that Michael Bay shit, yeah. you know, where everybody's got to have the funny line. You're like, nah, but that, that, that takes me out of the realism, I guess. I- Dude, I am 110% with you. When that thing happened, I would have had him step back and not say anything. Yeah, not say anything. Or when when um, Finnegan comes on, have him whisper into yeah. the into the ear, like, you know. Yeah. I'm taking a shit right now or something, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. You're, you're not wrong on any of your points whatsoever. Other than the earlier like, point yeah, by saying that uh, th- this team is not hasn't been together for too long, there you were empir- empirically <laughs> wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand by that. They, just, <laughs> they got put together at the last minute. <laughs> Zach's shooting daggers at me from his eyes. <laughs> 
cut to Vivo throwing Joey to the floor by the rest of the men. By, by putting in parentheses, do you think he landed in T-Ray's vomit? Oh, you know he did. <laughs> you know he, he did. He probably already smelled like shit, too, though. He looks... He like, looks... Dude, dude fucking needs a shave and a haircut. Boom, yeah. Boom. Yeah, no, Especially he's... when Finnegan, like, super put together with his moose and his hair and all that. Yeah, no, Kevin J. O'Connor's got that, uh, he's got the long hair thing going on, but then he's got the thinning top, so it just, yeah, it's it's a, it's a look that only he can pull off. Maybe not well. <laughs> he, he, he owns it. He, he, he owns it. He does own it, that's for sure. <laughs> Vivo says he found him snooping around their cargo. They all start kicking the shit out of Joey. Uh, by yeah. the way, obviously, Kevin J. O'Connor was wearing uh, pads all over when this happened. But still, after shooting this scene, his body was bruised head to toe, pretty much. And St- Stephen Summers felt so fucking bad about that. But I, th- I think I think Kevin J. O'Connor didn't complain. I think he took it like a champ. No, because he put him in the mummy right after this. Exactly. He's like, I promise I'll give you a bigger role in my next movie. Um Upstairs in the bridge, Layla and Finnegan can hear Joey getting stomped. Layla tells Finnegan to do something, but he says, are you kidding me? These guys are dangerous. Layla says, no shit, you got to do something. To which Finnegan replies, I find you live longer if you don't. Uh, obviously, they're really trying to pull some some Han Solo vibes here. You know, he's supposed to be the Han Solo of this movie, which makes sense. Oh, totally. That make That makes total sense. Yeah. Downstairs, Hanover is watching his men beat the shit out of Joey when three harpoons hit the wall right next to his head. Everyone stops and and looks at Finnegan standing there with a harpoon gun. He says, we got a contract. 20 hours out and back. You beat my engine man to death. It's going to take a hell of a lot longer, which is okay by me since overtime will run you double rate. Hanover says that Joey was nosing around his cargo and that the contract was no questions asked. Mason says he votes they kick Joey overboard. Mamuli says he votes they kill him. Finnegan says, well, we don't vote here. See, it's not a democracy. Billy kicks Joey in the stomach again, and everyone laughs. Finnegan says, I'll say it one more time for the hearing impaired. Then he beats Billy across the face with his harpoon gun, then quickly points it point blank at Mamuli's face. Everyone points their guns at Finnegan, and Vivo puts his knife to Joey's throat. Finnegan looks at Hanover and says, this could get messy. And then Hanover tells Vivo to release Joey. After Joey climbs up the ladder, Finnegan says, you boys need to get out more often and follows him up the bridge. He says, as he's going, he says to himself, that's a year off my life. A lot of little, like it's Zach's like nodding his head because I know what you're going to say. It's like, it's like, it's like, you know, a stressful scene, but there's like five comedic comedy beats in one scene that's supposed to be super stressful. Yeah, it, I mean, I'm just like, where's the tension there, you know? Um, I don't know. And also, I'm like, he shot three harpoons at the wall. I think you only need to do one. Yeah, probably, yes, agreed, agreed. <laughs> also, too, by the way, uh, yeah, we'll get to the the amount of bullets that people have and, and when the director decides someone ran out of bullets versus did not run out of bullets. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, a lot, like treats fucking awesome. He's like acting circles around everybody in the scene. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those moments. I'm like, yeah, enough of the jokes. Guys. Let me throw something at you. Let me throw something at you. If there was no Joey, would you keep all the same jokes that treat Williams has? And then it would probably even out a little bit more if you didn't have Joey as the complete comedic uh, uh, outlet as well. No, I think you make treat just just 
just uh, not comedic at all in okay. that scene. And then Joey keeps mouthing off because he's fucking annoying. Okay. You know, like he gets himself into trouble all the time. Finnegan bails his ass out. He couldn't even say that. He's like, look, I have the best mechanic money. Uh, I, I got the best me- boat mechanic in the world, but he's an idiot when it comes to getting into people's business. Yeah. You know, and the guy's like, I take offense at that. Oh, you know, yeah, just guys, that's good. Him some slack. No, that's good. I like that. Actually, really, that's a that's actually good. That's a good way to play it out. Um, and I'm not against that. Uh, and I think I think Treat will, delivers his 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 funny lines in a good way. Like it never takes me out. But if he yeah. if they turned him more into a, a, a you know more of a straight character and keeping all the jokes with with Joey, yeah, I, I I like where that's going too. And I like what you just described as as an alternate dialogue. I think that would work. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Let's remake it. Hey, man, I would be down to remake this movie. Oh, hell yeah. Back at the Argonautica, we see Trillian St. James break into the ship's security room and put gum over the camera. She used the captain's security card to open the vault. She walks over to one of the security lockers and picks it open, revealing a diamond necklace inside. Just then, Simon Canton walks in with the captain and a couple of security guards. The captain says, red-handed, my God, what a cheeky trollop you are. Trillian says uh, she was just leaving, but the guards grab her, and she says, maybe not. Canton says, good decision. There's no place to run. The nearest land is 800 miles away. Canton then pulls out an Interpol fax with her face and name on it. According to this fax we received, you're wanted for burglary, robbery, forgery, and attempted murder? Six arrests, five convictions, and wanted in four countries. How does a beautiful woman as young as yourself amass such an incredible record? Trillian says, trust me, it wasn't easy. Canton says, I think it's because you're not very good at what you do. And then he smacks her across the face. I do like the idea that maybe Trillian is not good at what she does. Yeah, and and she makes a comment, you know, when the attempted murder was like her her ex boyfriend or yeah. something like that, and, yeah. and I'm like, okay, maybe this is like a troubled person. Clearly, clearly, you're troubled if you're doing shit like this. Of course, of course. Uh, the captain sort of gets in between them, and he says, "Steady on, Kenton. There's no need for that." Bop, bop, pip, pip, bop, bop, you know, uh, <laughs> we should have David on here to do his voice for that one. <clears throat> I'm here. I'm here. Right? Chip, chip, and all that. Right? Chip, chip, pop, pop. <laughs> and David defends us. Um, (laughs) there's no need for all that now and he takes uh, his key card back from her Canton tells them to put Trillian in the brig but it it isn't finished yet cut to them throwing her in a food storage locker as they leave and lock the door Trillian looks around and pulls out Canton's wallet and looks at the key card so she picked his wallet too and I'll push back a little bit he like knowing the character that he is Mm -hmm. he wouldn't let that go for very long before he'd be like where the fuck is my wallet agreed completely because i think he would need his key card to get into the places he needs to get to so that's a hole right there 100 percent agreed and i noticed that as well and i think that's a that's a hole in the plot especially with what someone's gonna do later with some cds you're right yeah the the sabotage i mean he's, he's the saboteur so yeah exactly yeah. spoiler um, guys yeah <laughs> Cut to the bridge of Finnegan's speedboat, and Layla is stitching up Joey's forehead. You, uh, Zach alluded to this earlier, so yeah, now we kind of know that Layla is his girlfriend and everything. And man, Which I'm like, no way. Yeah, no, 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 and no. Yeah. Sorry. Like, I, 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 trust me, this is not a knock at anybody, but It's, no. it's a knock on Kevin J. O'Connor, rightfully so, because she's much prettier than him. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, uh uh-uh. I don't buy it at all. No. I don't buy it. And the only way it works is if they've been friends for years. But then, you know, why would he be so jokey at the end knowing that, you know, what's going to happen to her? So it kind of doesn't work sort of either way, you know, at all. Even when I was younger, I was like, eh, she's way too hot for him. This does not work for me. She's way too hot, and he's way too funny, funny. Like, he's, uh, he's fucking um, uh, shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, he yeah, kind of is. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, guys. Yeah, totally. So she's stitching up his head. Uh, Joey says that the bombs aren't nukes or nothing, but the bang sure would make your butt pucker. Finnegan says, if you ever pull that shit again, I'll kill you myself. Joey asks Layla for, for some more Novocaine. She gives him a kiss on the lips. Uh, and he says he's going to need a higher dosage. And she's like, oh, boop, boop, boop. And they do a little poopy, boopy, boopy, you know, thing. <laughs> v- Finnegan asks how many torpedoes are down there. Joey thinks about eight or nine, enough to sink a damn aircraft carrier. Finnegan says, this is just great. Now I got bombs in my basement. Layla then says, maybe if you'd ask a question or two before accepting a job. Joey chimes in, if the cash is there, we do not care. What kind of my philosophy is that man finnegan thinks out loud what the hell are they gonna do with torpedoes that's when i'm like if you guys are so pissed off with finnegan why do you work for him like you know you've been they've been with him let's assume they've been with him for a while now they gotta know that he takes some weird jobs yeah come on guys you knew what you were signing up for don't give me that shit don't give me that shit when you're loading all that stuff because i guarantee you those dudes didn't load all that equipment on the boat. They probably had, everybody had to chip in or whatever. Oh, I guarantee you they did not allow Finnegan, uh, Joey, or Layla to touch any of their gear. I guarantee you they loaded everything themselves. Okay, so you're going to, so let's let's go with that. And, then and, and I think they, that's why Joey was snooping around, because normally they probably do have to load everything. And he's like, why didn't I get to load this shit? What are they, what are they being sneaky about? Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Cut to below deck, and we see Mulligan arming the torpedoes. Like, I mean, yeah, it comes out. I said it was armed before, but now he's doing, like, some extra arming. You know, I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's pushing buttons, right? He's Uh, got his giant, like, iPad that he works with. Yeah. That apparently might be waterproof, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then we see Hanover opens a crate of guns and hands them out to his men. He says, say hello to the Chinese M1L1 triple pulse assault rifle. Rotating barrel, 1,000-round capacity, auto-cooling, airtight. It's an awesome-looking gun, and it's completely fake. 1,000 rounds? When he said that, I'm like, no. Just call it a fucking G.I. Joe laser gun while yeah. you're at it. Yeah. No. So, so it looks thousand like a, rounds. It looks like a mini Gatling gun and, yeah. and the front of the barrel rotates and everything. But yeah, it's built off of a Calico. Um, you know what it's built off of? The the um, total recall guns that they use. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Because those have the top loading uh, cylinders where you put the, the bullets in. Thousand rounds. Yeah, they only hold hundred rounds, but uh, yeah, they said a thousand. So, and everyone grabs and loads it. But I will say this: the the prop master for the film, the you know whoever made this, the weapons master. Oh, I mean, cool. the gun looks fucking awesome. They're badass, yeah. In the food storage locker on the Argonautica, Trillian is uh, popping a bottle of champagne and eating. It looks like expensive chocolates. We then I think su- it's sushi. 
Oh, is it? Okay. Okay. Because I'm like, I got hungry. I was like, Mom, I want some sushi. <laughs> we then see some, and this is what uh, Zach was uh, alluding to. We then see someone walk into the systems operation room and disable the ship's communication controls, navigation, and imaging by replacing the program CDs with ones that have a virus. We don't see who did this, but they appear to be Caucasian and wearing a tuxedo. Spoiler alert. It's Canton. And you can, I mean, I, I think, I feel like I knew it when I was watching the movie for the first time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do like red herrings though. Like who could it be? I mean, at least, you know, Steven Summers is trying to give you something to chew on and have a little fun with, but I think it's pretty fucking obvious. Yeah. On the bridge of the Argonautica, Canton and the captain are watching as everyone runs around in a panic. All the screens are acting wonky. Okay, so what that means, by the way, guys and gals, I get it. Like, what would probably happen is the the virus would just cut out all the screens, but that wouldn't really track well in a movie. So they kind of, you know, give these effects like the, you know, it's like these old TV monitors, the rolling and everything. And and so they're seeing some stuff, but it's like, because if you're going to disable the radar, it would just be disabled. Like, it's it's almost as if he disabled the monitors, but not the radar. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a weird technology thing, and I also think it's a, sort of a, a throwback to these, like I said, the late 90s movie style where people just, you didn't care, like, no one cared. But now, I feel like everyone's much more acquainted with technology, and, and, and filmmakers really try to make things more realistic. Yeah, and I also think, like, especially on a cruise liner like this, there's no way in hell that even if all the power went out, there'd still be a way to uh, do a mayday message yeah you that would i would imagine that the the mayday thing whatever sends that out is probably like completely separate from every other electronic on the ship just specifically for something like this like a satellite phone yeah you know Mm -hmm. exactly and i agree with you but but that doesn't but that doesn't create the drama so Mm -hmm. exactly yeah exactly as the officer is listing off everything that's failing, Canton says this is, that's impossible. The Argonautica is state-of-the-art and impervious to weather. The captain cuts him off and says, Mr. Canton, please, we are in a very dangerous situation here. We are running without radar or any form of imaging. We are sailing blind and no bloody way to communicate our situation. Just then, the officer running the sonar says he has something, and whatever it is is big. And so this is what I'm talking about. So, like, the sonar still works, but his monitor's, like, you know, twitching and being weird and shit, you know? Whereas if you disable the sonar, you would just disable the sonar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then you wouldn't get this information, right? Uh, Canton says it's probably a pod of whales, but the radar text says it can't be. It's moving at 31 knots. I have no idea how fast that is. I know. Uh, when everyone, when anyone ever says, like, meters and knots, I'm like, yep. is it inches? Yep. Is it feet? Because I don't <laughs> is, know. Is it miles per hour? What, what, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> yep, I'm with you, oh, buddy. Just, when, they, when he says later on, when they said it's 20 meters away, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how far yep, that is. I don't know. Yep. I'm glad that we're the same. We're the same yeah. in that regard. It costs twenty quid. Uh, what well, I I I. <laughs> what's can we pop up a conversion calendar right now? It's moving at thirty-one knots. I I is that fast? Is that slow? I mean, and I'm only judging by his reaction that it must be fast, right? Yeah, I guess. Ken uh, asks uh, where it's coming from. The radar tech says it's coming from directly below them. 
he counts down the meters. So he so you know, he starts counting down the meters like, you know, you know, 100 meters, 50 meters, you know. And as he's counting the meters down, we see the main ballroom, everyone's partying. So it's kind of like a a voiceover thing, you know. But then we you know, all so kinds I, of fun happening. I want to interrupt you really quick. Uh did you notice the two women kissing in the party scene? You know I did, baby. Those were the bartenders. And the two bartenders kissing each other. Two, and I'm like, two female? Okay, sure. I mean, like, that was kind of surprising. And Nowadays, I, I'd be like, of course. But now, back in 98, it was like, oh. And there were a lot of hot dancers, too. There were. Too bad they it all got... very multicultural. It is. It is. Too yes. bad they all get turned into gooey skeletons. Yep. And uh, so, so as he's counting down the the meters, we see you know P- or, uh, uh, shots of you know the, everyone having fun and whatnot. Then it cuts to kind of the creature's POV. Luckily, it looks better than it did uh, down on the ocean floor, and it shoots right for the propeller blades. Just then, everyone goes flying as the ship is stopped in its tracks. People crash through glass, fall off the top balconies. We see one of the lifeboats fall into the water. Everyone starts panicking and running for exits and lifeboats as we hear the creature roaring. People are getting knocked over and trampled on, which is kind of cool. We uh, follow one woman as she runs into a bathroom and cowers on the toilet. She hears something going through the pipes, then looks down at the toilet and screams. She tries to run, but something pulls her back down onto the toilet. She screams more and sort of grabs onto the faucet. Then all of a sudden she gets sucked into the bathroom, into the toilet. Blood goes everywhere. Water shoots everywhere. It's really cool. We then see uh, Trillian in this food storage locker and a bunch of boxes fall on her we you know assume knocking her out that scene of the girl getting her ass pulled through the toilet was like uh the blob and it's your first shot of gore in this movie too where yeah. there's like a, a a flash of blood just disgusting blood flashing on the screen you're like okay this is getting interesting now mm-hmm. yeah and honestly knowing what you're going to know you look back everyone on this ship dies a horrible death yes one that I wouldn't want. Which is lovely. It's what you want to see in a horror film. Exactly. I would rather go out like Mason. Back on Finnegan's boat, two of Hanover's men are bolting a torpedo launcher to the front deck. Finnegan yells, hey, who said you could put holes in my boat? That's going to cost you extra. Hanover pops his head up in the from the cargo hold and asks what their ETA is. Finnegan says about another 22 minutes and they'll be on top of whatever's out there. Just then, he sees a ping on his radar before it goes dead, and he says, what the hell was that? Finnegan puts on a pair of night vision goggles just in time to see the lifeboat they're about to hit. They plow right through it, but it tears up their boat pretty bad. We see explosions rip through the hull of of their boat and fires on the main deck. Finnegan powers the boat down to see the extent of the damage. In the engine room, Joey is putting out the fires all over the place, including the engine itself. All of Hanover's men are quickly putting out fires on the torpedo cases. Finnegan meets Joey in the engine room and asks for a status update. Joey says that they have a hole in the ship the size of Nebraska, and the engine got it right in the brain pan. Hanover asks what they hit. Joey pulls a small rotor out of the engine and says, I think we killed a speedboat. Finnegan doesn't believe it. They're far. He's like, I don't believe it. We're too far from land for there to be a speedboat, which is a... Star Wars reference about the tie when they went in a new hope when they see that tie fighter out there and he's like that's too far to you know and then they see the Death Star. Sure. Yeah. 
Finnegan looks at the engine and sees it's leaking fuel. He says, I give us 20 minutes, then we're dead in the water. Hanover reminds Finnegan that they have a time schedule to maintain. Joey scoffs, but Mason reminds Joey he's expendable. Joey says, story of my life. Just then, Layla calls them from the bridge. She says she sees something. Finnegan, Joey, Hanover, and Mason go up and see what she's looking at through the night vision goggles. Joey takes them from her and says, whoa, it's a cruise ship. Finnegan takes the goggles and says, think she could spare some fuel? And Joey adds, in a few minutes in the machine shop. Finnegan and Joey look at each other and say in unison, absolutely. Just then, Hanover's men all point their guns at Finnegan and his team. Hanover says, we'll take it from here. I love that when they look at each other and say, absolutely. And when Hanover is like, we'll take it from here. I'm like, you fuckers don't know how to get this boat to the yacht. So no, you're not taking it from here. <laughs> yeah. You're going to wait till they get the boat to the, sh- you're, you're going there. They're going there. That's where they're going. That's where so, you're going. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 they're going where they're going. Like that's the destination. So part of me was like, no, when you get there, that yeah. there's a, there's a huge hole in the boat. It is huge. It is like, there's no way they're going to barely like how they get the boat to the uh, their speedboat to the yacht is a miracle to me because it's that hole is so huge. And then I'm like, that's when you say we'll take it from here when you get the boat on the yacht. Yeah. Yeah. But this isn't but like also if this is supposed to be their escape ship right from the yacht because the intention is to sink the yacht. Yeah. Wouldn't you say like you guys get this shit fixed and you know we'll be back or whatever. I mean, it's not like they don't try to fix the ship. I mean, they do leave Layla there. You know, they do. But they, yeah, yeah. I guess, but yeah. I'm like, you will you, we'll take over when we get to the yacht. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you there because cruise it's ship, not like they were ship. like. It's not like Finnegan said, "I'm going to turn around and go back now." Yeah, you know, or something like, and I'll, I'll give you guys your money back or whatever. But we're too fucked up now, um, you know. And then, fin- you know, then Hanover would say it. But yeah, they're going to where Hanover wants to go anyways. So there's no point in like sort of blowing your cover now, although it's not really cover, but it's sort of like blowing your cover that we're going to, you know, kill you or take over your boat at some point. Yeah. Why now? Wait, wait, wait for a little bit longer. Yeah, and and spo- and fun fact for anybody wondering, if someone wants to hire you to take you somewhere but no questions asked, they're not going to let you live. No, no you're end. dead. You're dead. You're absolutely yeah, dead. So yeah. Finnegan's kind of dumb. <laughs> no questions <laughs> asked? Sure. You know you're going to die at the end. Exactly. Sure. Sure. Did you hear what I just said? Sure. <laughs> sure. No questions asked. Sure. <laughs> What's the opposite of yes? Sure. <laughs> we see Finnegan's boat slowly moving towards the Argonautica. Finnegan says, you know, Hanover, a ship like that, they got a half dozen ways to call for help. Hanover says, not anymore. Finnegan sort of looks at him. Mason asks Joey if they can fix their ship. Joey says, if I can get into the Love Boat's machine shop, yeah. She ain't going to run pretty, but she'll run. He leans over to Finnegan and whispers that they've armed the torpedoes, and Finnegan looks worried. Hanover says, all right, Finnegan and the Grease Monkey will come with us. Finnegan says that the three of them stick together. Hanover says, from now on, you'll be sticking with me. He then tells Billy to stay on board and finish the torpedo launcher and watch Layla. Mamuli says that he'd rather watch her. He hasn't had Korean yet. Joey gets in his face and says, leave my girlfriend out of this. But Mamuli puts his gun in Joey's face. uh, But Mulligan sort of breaks them up and says, man, she'd eat you alive anyways. Mason says, knock that shit off. This is worse than high school. Layla and Joey look at each other, which makes me sad, you know. 
Is that when they call him? Uh, when he calls her? Oh no, no, sorry. We'll yeah, uh, muscle girl or, or chick, chick with hey, chick with muscles. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, I'll be. In the, I track that. Yeah, I track that. I'll be later. Uh, Mason asks Hanover, "Why isn't the cruise ship moving?" Hanover doesn't know, but he rallies his men for the task at hand. Outside, we see Finnegan's ship pull up next to the Argonautica. Mulligan and Vivo use a device to hack the outer maintenance door. It's a couple stories above them, so they use grappling hooks to ascend the side of the cruise ship. The door leads to a recreational storage room with surfboards and multiple jet skis and sea dews. Hanover says to his men, Use any and all force necessary. The intimidation factor must be high. There's a lot of passengers on this ship, Mamuli says. Yep, and half of them are packing lipstick. Again, one trick pony Mamuli is. Yeah. They all start walking into the ship. Joey says to Finnegan about the grappling hooks. That was fun. You know, Finnegan kind of looks at him. Yeah, I, which which was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> As they're walking through the ship with a purpose, Hanover says, everyone's in the atrium. We'll pin them down there and split up and finish the job. Sound off. The guys in the group start yelling their duties. We, we get the vault, level six. Casino, level three. Bridge, bow, top level. Mulligan says... Here come the party crashers. But Finnegan says, I don't hear any party. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello. La, la, la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La, la, la. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Hanover and his men, including Finnegan and Joey, enter the atrium, but it's empty. The whole place is trashed. Joey says it looks like someone had themselves one hell of a shindig. Vivo yells out, we got blood here. Hanover says, we got blood everywhere. Just then, the elevator starts rising up from the lower levels. 
Everyone aims their guns at, at it and wait for the doors to open. Finnegan says, I got a really bad feeling about this. The doors open, but there's nothing inside but blood. Mamuli says, where the hell is everybody? You're going to find out in about uh, 20 minutes. We see the team head outside to check the lifeboats and look for any signs of life. Mulligan tells Hanover all the lifeboats, they're still here. Hanover tells his men to move on with the mission. Stupid scene in this moment, because or stupid acting on Vivo's part. He picks up a fucking uh, beach ball and like looks at it like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> like he's never I, seen it before. Yeah, like... <laughs> it, uh, I just would have loved it if like... Like he picked his, put his hand on the ball and then there was slime all over the ball. Or blood, or blood. Or or blood, yeah, and be like, Ugh. but instead he's like picking him. What is this ball? I don't know. It's like sparkling clean when he picks it yeah. up and looks at it. And, you know, conf- he looks at it confused. And it's like, no, it's just a beach ball, bro. Yeah. Beach ball, bro. Beach ball, bro. <laughs> Cut to the team entering the Argonautica's casino. It's empty, too, and there's money still on the table. Mason says, this place looks post-evac, man. Total spooky town. Then Mason sort of quickly pockets a bunch of the money. Finnegan says to Hanover, looks like somebody beat you to the punch. Mulligan asks, you know, someone else, you know, everyone's asking, where is everybody? And T-Ray says, who cares? Let's hit the vault. Just then, like a pinwheel with fireworks starts spinning on the wall, and then everybody starts shooting the place up. Very Predator-esque. Finnegan tells everybody to stop, and they do for a second. (laughs) T-Ray and Vivo laugh and start shooting the pinwheel again. Hanover tells them to knock it off, and they have a job to do. He orders T-Ray and Mamouli to take Joey and Finnegan to the machine shop below, while the rest of them go to the bridge. I like the character moment of Mason pocketing a bunch of money because I'd be like his if, if, probably in his head I mean, like the character's backstory is he's got massive debt you know he's got a gambling problem or something yeah. but I like that because he's the only one that did it you know I'm cool with that yeah and then you're right like total rip off of Predator mm-hmm. it is sorry it is and then and then like for them to start shooting again haha <laughs> like I get it there's they got a thousand rounds and maybe they don't think they need to use any of them yeah yeah I. I guess that's probably why they do it. To me, I'm just like, no. Yeah, and this movie's chock full of references, that being a reference to Predator. Uh, uh, Finnegan saying earlier, I've got a really bad feeling about this. Uh, every Star Wars movie has somebody in it that says, I've got a bad feeling about this. So it's it's kind of, everybody knows that. So that's why I say it's probably a reference because I think Steven Sommers probably knew, knows that as well. You know? Oh, yeah. And he's so, cl- and, and, and you know, Treat Williams' character is so clearly Han Solo, you know? Yeah, and, and knowing that he wanted Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, and yep. it makes total sense. Yeah. In the storage locker, Trillian is waking up from being knocked out by the boxes of food. She hears something moving through the pipes above her and says, what the hell is that? She then opens the control panel for the door and shorts out the electronics with a metal hair clip. The door opens, and she leaves the food storage. The hair clip looked awfully lot, looked an awful lot like a key. <laughs> maybe it was. I, I maybe I was wrong. Maybe I tried. No, it no, wrong. it was their hair clip. I was okay. like, oh, <laughs> sure. I love. I love how she's like. Nah, should it? Okay, here we go. Oh, oh, miraculous. <laughs> she's got the touch. She does. You got the touch. I would have been like grabbing five more sushi rolls, and then I'd go <laughs> stuffing them in your mouth, and then going. 
<laughs> would have been like fucking Chunk and Goonies. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just a few more. <laughs> I'm about to die. I want to have some food in my belly. <laughs> Good one. I like that, yeah. Uh, in the bridge, Hannah, I'm just picturing, I'm picturing Chunk there instead of Fonky Johnson. I think we just made this movie 100 times better by putting the kid, the Goonie kids in yeah. In the boat. In the boat. Yeah, no. I, the image in my head is, is pretty amusing. Uh, in the bridge, Hanover, Mulligan, Mason, and Vivo survey the scene. All the windows have been smashed out and everyone's gone. Mulligan looks at the messed up computer screens and says, the man did a good job of shutting everything down. Hanover says, yeah, but he wasn't supposed to stop the ship. Mason says, or kill everyone on it. To which Vivo replies, I don't see any bodies. And Mulligan says, it's like everyone vanished. Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship came out soon after this movie, which that movie sucked. Yeah, except for the opening when everybody gets cut in half. The opening to all those movies were good. Uh, 13 Ghosts and House on Haunted Hill. Great openings. And then... Yeah, we've talked, Zach and I have talked um, on other shows, I think it was a wrap-up or something, I was never a big fan of, like, 90s slasher movies, uh, like, like honestly, I was never a big fan of Scream, I was never a big fan of I Know What You Did Last Summer and everything, and sort of to go with that, I was also never a big fan of, like, House on Haunted Hill and, and The Haunting and all these, like, these late 90s CGI ghost movies. It just, they never clicked with me, man. And I just, yeah. for some reason, horror in the 90s just wasn't, just didn't click for me. But this I liked. This I very much enjoyed. Yeah, because this is sci-fi yeah. over the top. Yeah. And obviously, I think by now, I know, Zach, you know, but everybody who's listened to our show from the get-go can pretty much figure that this is a Corey movie, you know? This has got all the shit that I like, and, you know, it just, I know, I get it. Corey Corey movies are Corey movies, you know? Not everybody loves them. (laughs) Where's Wings Hauser? I'm still tripping on. I would love it if fucking, um, oh, gosh, what was his name in in, uh, Data would be like, you want to fight me? And as the monster's coming towards him and he, like, shoots his, like, uh, his boxing glove out of his jacket at the monster and the monster, like, (laughs) gets hit by it, like, shakes its head and just eats him. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I love later in in the the very end of the climax where Treat Williams is being picked up by the creature. He, like, punches it and then the creature punches him in the face with its own tentacle. And I'm like, come on. (laughs) But at the same time, I thought it was funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Back on Finnegan's boat, Layla is welding and patching up the hole in the the ship's hull. She hears something and looks around. She then yells to Billy on the deck, Turn up the pump, you idiot, we're sinking. Up on the deck, Billy yells back down, Relax, would ya? You're not the boss of me. He goes back to working (laughs) on the torpedo launcher and sort of mumbling to himself about the one being in charge. Um, In the hold, Layla goes back to repairing the ship, when a dead body pops out of the water and scares her. Uh, Back up top, Billy gets a call from Hanover on the headset. Hanover says that they can't find any passengers and asks if Billy has seen any. Billy says no, only an idiot would be out here in this rain. Of course, he's in the rain. Which is funny. And also, there's your bit of nudity, Corey. The the dead body, like some (laughs) naked dead chick. It's disgusting. Uh, uh, back down in the belly of the ship, Layla is looking at the the floating dead body when she when she kind of screams and then gets sucked out through the hole. 
you see her head violently hitting a piece of metal on the way out. Hopefully this kills her instantly. I hope so. This was literally, it's never sat well with me. And I think it's because it kind of breaks like a horror thing, like the rules. Like, I feel like with the rules of this this movie and, and horror, I don't feel like she should have died. She didn't deserve to die. She didn't deserve to get like eaten either. But I do think that her hitting her head was sort of a way, weirdly, to soften the blow because you know she died instantly as opposed to being crushed and consumed. Yeah, I think another issue I kind of have with this movie is there's so many villains in this movie, so many villains. So you end up like not having sympathy for for the people that get killed. She's one you do have sympathy yeah. for because she's not a villain. Yeah. Um, she's the only one that uh, well, outside of the captain. She's yeah, I was gonna say probably one... her, probably her and Captain Atherton are probably the most two most sympathetic deaths in the movie. Yeah. So so who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist here? You know, like, yeah, uh, I get treat Williams. He's, he's the hero on one hand, but the monster is not really the bad guy. If you think about it, I mean, to, so, just, to some it's just degree, an animal, it's just doing its thing. Yeah. You don't care about the people on the boat because they already said they're all uh, millionaires and, and, you know, by, by nature, we're not supposed to like people who have a lot of money and uh, which I think is kind of funny, but, but, and we'd have no connection to them whatsoever, except for a chick taking a dump on a toilet, you know, and then, and then she gets pulled down. Uh, I think that's, that's an issue with the movie. It's like you, they, he had opportunities to make some of the characters a little more sympathetic. And then, then he turned them into assholes at the last minute. And, and whether, you know, it's an issue or not, you know, for, for people out for viewers, viewers out there, I will say that you, eloquently explained to me, and I didn't even have the words for it, but you explained to me why this death hits so hard because you're technically numb throughout the entire movie to every death except hers and later Captain Atherton's. But I would say hers is probably the worst because, you know, you, you don't want you. She's the last person you really want to die. Her and Treat Williams, I would say, are probably the two last people you want to die. I'd rather see Fomke Jensen's character die before Layla. Yeah, me too. In the machine shop of the Argonautica. I love that name, by the way. I do, too. I, I don't understand why they have a dragon as their logo on their boat, though. Well, the wasn't wasn't the Argonautica the, the Iliad or something? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the Odyssey. The right? Odyssey? Yeah. 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 Something Jason like and the Argonauts. Sure. 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 <laughs> I would have preferred a, a Kraken, though. There you go. The a little lad. That would have been awesome. Come on. And, and that yeah. would have been a much better uh, uh, foreshadowing as well. That would have been brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well, again. you know what? We're going to do that in our remake as well. At this point, guys and gals, just track the things we're going to change, and that's going to be our remake. Sorry, Kevin J. O'Connor. Come on, guys. <laughs> no. the, the Corey liked me. <laughs> Corey Did you get your voice you. fixed? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're casting Gilbert Godfrey instead. Like his <laughs> his voice is more appealing. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> and, <laughs> In the machine shop of the Argonautica, Finnegan is trying to hammer a piece of metal from the boat's uh, engine back into shape. As he's doing it, he says, the hull on these ships are supposed to be impenetrable. And Mamouli says, so what are you saying? Finnegan replies, then why are my feet wet? Joey says it's a ghost ship, and he votes they all leave. 
T-Ray says the crew thought they were sinking, so they abandoned ship. Joey mocks T-Ray by saying, oh my god, he's right. You're right. Yeah, they all jumped overboard. I can just see the last asshole in saying, shit, we forgot the lifeboats. Guess we're just going to have to swim for it. And I do, I do like that Finnegan that and, and Mamouli sort of laugh. You know, They both find it amusing. Because I yeah. like it when... When you also amuse your captor as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. that was funny. Yeah. But T-Ray does not take it so kindly. He points his gun at Joey's head and says, you got a real big mouth on you. You know that? And to which Joey replies, yeah, I know that. <laughs> then T-Ray says, I don't like you. And I like how Joey looks back and says, you don't even know me. Yeah, that was funny. Of course, here we go. Mamuli is drawn to the obligatory wall of Playboy pinups that every movie that has a mechanic shop in it, see Die Hard, or not like a shop, but like a room for like, you know, mechanics, just like Die Hard and a million other fucking movies. It's just like that. This is how they get the nudity into the fucking movie. T-Ray tells him to get his mind out of the gutter. Then Joey takes a big whiff and says, whoa, something stinks. And T-Ray slaps him. I like that. I like that he fucking slaps him. And Joey yells back, I didn't say it was you. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a good slap, you know? Yeah. Everyone everyone goes back to what they were doing, which for Mamulia means just staring at the wall. Uh, T-Ray hears a noise coming from the other side of the large and partially submerged machine shop. He starts looking around, and we see a shadow of a tentacle moving through the pipes. Finnegan says, hey, stay close. T-Ray replies, I didn't know you cared. But Finnegan says, I care about the gun. (laughs) I like how T-Ray looks a little bit hurt by that. (laughs) But then he starts looking around for the source of the noise. He tells Mamouli to keep an eye on Finnegan and Joey, but Mamouli just kind of keeps looking at the pinups. Again, like we said, he's he's the weakest of of these pirates. So he's a sex addict and like God, such so a one cliche. trick pony thing, man. Yeah, it's so cliche. Just oh, sorry, guys. I'm playing with myself over here. What exactly? We follow T-Ray through the guts of the boat. He keeps hearing noises and yells out, who's there? All of a sudden, pipes from the ceiling fall down and scare him. T-Ray, what the hell are you doing, man? But T-Ray is now on a mission to find the source of that noise. With his gun drawn, T-Ray walks around some pipes and machinery. He sees something moving in the water behind some pipes and says, What the hell is that? Just then the water explodes and T-Ray screams as he's pulled through the small area between the pipes. Back in the machine shop, Finnegan is working on on fixing a part when all of a sudden T-Ray's gun falls on the table in front of him, startling Joey and Finnegan. We hear T-Ray screaming in the distance and we see blood splattering on the ceiling. Mamuli spins around in shock. He sees the blood and calls out for T-Ray. When he gets no reply, he points his gun at Joey and Finnegan and yells, What did you do to him? Finnegan says that they didn't do anything and reaches for T-Ray's gun, but Mamuli says, Touch that and you're dead. Finnegan reiterates that it wasn't them and they hear a terrible roar coming from where T-Ray disappeared. Now, I will say, I have not put thrown out some some negativity, but I'm going to throw some out here. Um, man, the like trying to get the lay of like what this room looks like and then how far away T-Ray T-Ray walked it seems like he went like really far away but yeah. then why the fuck does the gun land right on them and then the blood hits the ceiling like over near them like to me 
it tracks that they would have seen him get sucked in. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 The, the, the continuity of like location is totally off. Yeah. It's, it's, that one was in ever like even the first time I watched the movie, I remember being confused by like just where things were in this one little scene. And that's, that's the director. That's and also editing. That's just, it's just, it's a, it's a weird, it's, I don't hate it, but I do think it's a poorly put together scene. Yeah. I mean, already like with any, with movies like this, you have to have a level of suspension of disbelief. I get that. But then, but then also to come on, like put a little bit of realism into it, you know, um, a lot of the thing, uh, you know, it's so, but then that's kind of throughout because by the end they're, they're doing donuts in <laughs> yeah. a hallway of, a of a, a you know with a with a ski deuce or whatever so yeah yeah i think at that that point you're just like oh well let's do some cocaine and have some good times <laughs> you're not wrong buddy you're not no. wrong <laughs> upstairs in the vault room trillian is about to use canton's key card to open the vault door when hanover stops her he says what do you know sign of life and mulligan says with curves and i'll push back that fomke has no curves oh Oh, she's beautiful, though. She, she's she's a, she's a pretty woman, but she has no curves. Trillian says to them, excuse me, this area is for authorized personnel only. As the assistant to the purser, I'm afraid I'll have to report you. Hanover slams her against the wall and asks where the other passengers are. Trillian says, I don't know, sleeping? Hanover points a gun to her chest and asks who she is. She says, just a passenger. Name's Trillian. And you are? Vivo takes Canton's key card from her hand and says, thank you. Makes my job a lot easier. Hanover keeps questioning Trillian as Vivo inserts the key card. Mulligan says to Vivo, I thought you liked blowing things up. Vivo smiles and says, I do. I liked how he said it. He looks so happy. Oh, he looks so happy. Just then, as the vault door's <laughs> opening, Canton pops out from the side of the door, swinging an axe and sinking it deeply like fucking butter into Vivo's forehead, killing him instantly. And when the first time I saw this, this scared the shit out of me and made my stomach sink because I liked Vivo. But he falls back with his mouth open as if he's screaming, but no yes. scream comes out. And it's that bad. scares the shit out of me, dude. It was it. It's my favorite scene in the movie. It's like so over the top, shocking. It's it's truly the most shocking moment of the movie. It is, and it's pretty gory. I mean, it, that fucking axe is sunk into his forehead. Yes, it's great. It is it's a great scene. It is. It really is. No, it's it's really good. Like us shitting on the scene prior for being poorly blocked and edited. This is expertly blocked and edited. Totally agree. Hanover and his men fire into the vault, killing everyone inside besides <laughs> Canton and Captain Atherton. It's hilarious. It is, because they fucking light them up. They stop shooting and grab them and pull them out. Hanover points a gun at Canton and says, you just killed one of my best men. Canton pleads and says he thought it was one of them. Trillian uses the confusion to sneak out the door and into the ship. Mulligan asks what Canton is talking about, and he says, one of those things, haven't you seen them? Just then, Mamuli comes over the headset. He tells Hanover that he thinks T-Ray is dead. He has Finnegan and Joey at gunpoint. 
Finnegan says to Mamuli, forget about him. We got to get out of here. There's something down here. Mamuli tells him to shut the fuck up. There's nothing down here. Just then, something grabs Mamuli from underwater, dragging him down. This causes him to throw the gun in the air, and Finnegan catches it. We see Mamuli getting dragged around the machine shop and bounced off of various pipes. He screams as he's pulled into another part of the room, and we see blood explode from where he was. Now, I do like the fact that he gets fucking just bounced off a bunch of different pipes before he dies. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, you don't like him because he's a pervert sex dude. And you're like, okay, that's cool. Uh, T-Ray, I have some sympathy for, but they killed him off so quickly that, you know, we don't really get a satisfaction from his kill. And then other ones coming up. Vivo, is that was shocking and surprising. Yeah. And that was great. Um, yeah, and then there's other deaths later where I'm like, no, that should have been a little bit more brutal for that guy. Okay. We'll, okay. We'll get we'll, to that. We'll get to that when you, yeah. Tell Strong me. feeling about this. Finnegan tells Joey to grab the parts as he shoots the creature in the water. In the vault, Hanover hears the shooting and commotion over the headset. He yells for Mamuli and T-Ray. Canton runs to Hanover and says, they're everywhere. You hear me? We got to get off this ship. Hanover looks at him and says, all right, let's check it out. Mason asks what about the vault, but Hanover says it'll be there and tells them to grab tells him to grab Vivo's gun. In the machine room, Finnegan is shooting as they are running through the water. Joey asks what that was, but Finnegan says he d- didn't get a good look. They stop and turn around. Finnegan asks if Joey got all the parts, and Joey says that if he didn't, he's not going back for them. Just then something in the water starts coming right for them. Finnegan shoots, but it, it doesn't stop it, so they run for the door as it's on their ass. There's a obviously there's a trimmers and a thing reference here as the ground pan like the, the floor panels are popping up as the tentacles are sh- run, heading towards them. Totally. They slam the door and shut it and lock it just in time. We see Trillian getting on the elevator and pressing the tenth floor, but the elevator starts going down instead. She pulls the emergency stop button, and the elevator starts shaking, and we hear the creature roar. She pushes in the emergency stop button, and the elevator starts going down again. The elevator opens on sublevel 3, and as Joey is running into the elevator, Trillian hits him on the nose with her shoe and knocks him to the ground. She tries to leave the elevator, but Finnegan grabs her and pushes her back into the elevator. Trillian yells, I'm not staying in here. And Finnegan says, trust me, lady, it ain't any better out there. And he pushes her against the wall and says, will you relax? While Joey closes the door, Finnegan says, who the hell are you? And she asks him the same thing. Joey says, I think she broke my nose. To which Trillian replies, give me a chance and I'll break the rest of your face. Not that anyone would notice. Joey says, what is this about? Yeah, that that was hilarious. And I think also goes to the point when you watch this movie, you don't really think too highly of Trillian here at the beginning because she's mean to the character who we know is supposed to be the comic relief. Yeah, and and then all we know from her is that she's a thief at this point. Yeah. At this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Just then, they hear the creature in the elevator shaft, and they point their guns up. Joey says, Joey asks what that was, and Trillian says that's what she's been trying to tell them. The elevator starts going back and they back up and they hear the creature slink away. Just then the doors open and Hanover and his men are there and they point their guns and yell to Finnegan and Joey to drop theirs. They do. And of course, Trillian drops her shoe. 
which is a little that that's the kind of humor that I like. Just that little moment where she's holding the shoe and she drops it. That's a nice little subtle piece of humor. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Mulligan asks where Mamuli and T Ray are. Finnegan says they didn't make it, but Hanover asks, what the hell does that mean? Mulligan says, you killed them. And Finnegan yells back, I didn't kill anybody. There's something on this ship. Hanover says, bullshit. But Canton peeks his head in and says, it's not bullshit, Mr. Hanover. There are things on this ship. Finnegan asks, you two know each other? Captain Atherton closes the elevator door and Mulligan gets into Finnegan's face saying that he knows he killed T-Ray Mooley. Finnegan knees him in the crotch, dropping Mulligan like a sack of shit. And he says, I heard you the first time. Mulligan, too. I'm like, I, I, I have sympathy. I start to have sympathy for his character at some point, And then suddenly I lose it when they're in the kitchen. Yep. hundred hundred percent agreed. Because he seems reasonable at one point, and then he he turns. So, yeah, he has a little bit of a roller coaster. You think he's going to have an arc, but he kind of doesn't. Yeah. Hanover tells Finnegan to stand down, then looks at the captain and says, tell me what happened. The captain says that the ship's infested. The creatures are everywhere. Hanover asks, infested with what? But the captain says, how do I know? Never seen anything like it before. Just then, the elevator is rocked and starts going up and down. They can hear the creature pulling at it as they are being shaken inside. The creature seems to let them go, and there's a pause, and we hear a Muzak version of the girl from Impanima playing. That's kind of stupid, but <laughs> it's not as stupid as what comes up at the end, where I'm like, dude, aren't you supposed to be quiet right now? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Trillian asks if they don't mind getting off the elevator now, and they all try opening the door and banging on it. We see they're on the 10th floor. The banging causes the creature to get agitated, and the elevator rocks some more. Then the cords are broken, and the elevator starts plummeting down. Everyone screams inside until they hit sublevel 3, and the doors explode off, sending everyone flying. It's really, at that point, I'm like, that, 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 that moment feels more believable to me than when an elevator drops and everyone dies in it. Yeah, because they just kind of get knocked out and everything. Yeah. And another piece of continuity problem, uh, sub-level three is where they came from originally, and it was yeah. submerged, but now yeah. it's kind of like a different set or different location. I wish they went to you know a different level or something, but but okay. It, it doesn't take me out of it, and I've never noticed it until now when I was breaking the movie down. Yeah. 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 I forgot to mention, too, when Layla, uh, right, right after she sees the dead body and she goes in, submerged in the water, she's wearing like a tank top. And then she's like suddenly wearing a jacket and she's dry. Oh, and I didn't notice oh. that. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch it. I didn't notice that one. Uh, continuity. You know, you want to see a wet t shirt. You can cut this, but you know, you want to see a wet t shirt. Uh, fuck yeah, I do. I loved her in the wet t-shirt earlier when she had the wife, white wife beater on, although it wasn't yep. see-through. Damn it. I know. I mean, come on. You're going to show like a fat, naked chick and then like playboy pinups, but you want to You said that twice. It's this? not a girl. It was a guy. The dead body it was, was a, a dude? guy. Yeah, it was a dude. Oh, it was a fat guy. I thought it was a chick. Uh, I thought it was a fat chick. Uh, okay. I might say something <laughs> about you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like how you just laugh. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Everyone gets to their feet and composes themselves. Then they see the horror around them. I love this. Yeah, the, this is great. The hallway is covered in blood, and there are gooey skeletal remains all over the floor. Everyone starts screaming, and Trillian tells Joey to get the gun, you moron. 
Finnegan reaches down to grab his, but Hanover puts his foot on it. You back off, Finnegan. They hear a noise and look down the gore-filled metal hallway to the locked door at the end. It starts bulging out as if something is pushing on it from the other side. Everyone draws their gun and a metal hinge shoots off the door and lands at Finnegan's feet. He says, now what? Now the sides of the metal wall are starting to be pushed in by what looks like tentacles running along it. Hanover yells to Finnegan and kicks the gun up into his hands. I like that. Yeah. Uh, the walls stop bulging, and Hanover and Finnegan cautiously walk towards the locked door. They look around, and Mason accidentally steps on a skull and screams. This causes the creature to attack the walls again, and everyone starts shooting as Trillian and Joey run out the opposite door, and the rest of the group follow in fast pursuit. Finnegan and Hanover escape, and the door closes just in time. Now, these um these gooey skeletons were handled by uh, Rob Botine's shop. Now, he did a lot of the practical effects. He's also going to do something later that I'll that I'll talk about. But I don't think Rob Botine himself actually worked on anything. But it was his shop and his his people. Best effects in the movie, that's for sure. And they look amazing, dude. Yeah, they look really cool. the 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 scene later on in the in the casino is amazing. But um, I also want to point out these guns suck. Yeah, because well, they don't do shit. Well, I would barely. Have, so I here here's the thing, and 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 you're right. What I would say is they're probably the wrong guns for the job. So the little gun knowledge that I know, uh, that gun shoots, um, I believe, uh, pistol bullets. So they're, so they're smaller calibers. And if you're going to have a thousand of them in that magazine, it, so basically, I mean, they're like, it's like, it's, it's like basically rapid firing pistol bullets. So that right there is not going to be strong enough to puncture the metal, the metal in the walls. Well, even the, the, the monster, because like the the shotgun later is effective, right? And knocks That's giant sure. chunks off of it and everything. Yep. Yeah. No, I I think I think you're right, but I think it's not a flaw of the movie. It's just they brought the wrong weapon for the job. Yeah. 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 Back on Finnegan's boat, we see Billy looking for Layla in the machine room. He says, "Chick with the muscles. <laughs> There's nowhere to hide." <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and then he walks over to the the hole in the ship's hull, and then it kind of fades to black a little bit. Back on the yeah, Argonaut, and he like chick with the muscles. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't really muscular. It almost makes me wonder if they were thinking of like casting somebody a bit tougher in that role, like Vasquez. Yeah, yeah. And if Vasquez was hooking up with uh, Tooch, that would make a lot more sense. <laughs> would it? Yeah, because she's a little more she's more butch. And, okay. You know, okay. So you scruffy. See, so you think Vasquez would would want like a little skinny guy to kind of throw around and, and yeah. rough up? Yeah, that tracks. Okay. Versus like this hot, she's like wearing eyeliner and full on makeup. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So well put together. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea that Vasquez has a thing for, for shimp, shimp, shrimpy small dudes or something. Yeah, you know? maybe he's got a giant cock or something. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he might. I don't know. Well, look, Pete Davidson gets tail, so, you know. <laughs> this is true. This is, this he is looks like Pete Davidson true. with long hair. Actually, it looks like Pete Davidson with long hair. I'm gonna, That's what I'm calling called Tooch for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Pete, Pete Davidson, Davidson with long hair. Yeah, because he's getting chicks way too hot for him, you know. <laughs> Good call. It's a good call, buddy. But he's it's a good funny. comparison. <laughs> Back on the Argonautica, Hanover, Finnegan, and the rest hold up in the electronics room. 
Canton is talking about how they thought they hit a reef or something because the ship came to a sudden and violent stop. And then suddenly there are creatures everywhere. The passengers all panicked. It happened so fast they, they didn't even use the lifeboats. Captain Atherton says the trouble is nobody knows they're in trouble. They couldn't send an SOS. Like you said earlier, I do think that the SOS device is attached to different electronics just for this it, thing. Yeah, come on. Yeah. You see Trillian sort of grab a pair of boots off the shelf and says their first order of business is to call for help. Mason says, yeah, let's do that now. Captain Atherson says, you don't seem to understand. Something has jammed the systems. Finnegan says, not something, someone. And he looks at Canton. He then asks, who are you? My name is Simon Canton. I own the ship. Finnegan says, Hanover had a connection on this ship. Somebody would knock out all the communications. You two know each other. It was you. I like how uh, Finnegan sort of figures it out. Yeah. He's like ex-CIA probably. Yeah, something. Yeah. I I like how it all sort of adds to the backstory. Yeah. Hanover says, very quick, Mr. Finnegan. Finnegan asks how they fix it. Uh, Or Finnegan asks how they fix it. Canton reaches for a pistol, but Hanover stops him. Finnegan repeats the question. Mason grabs Canton by the throat and tells him to answer him. Canton says, all the systems were melted at the core. There's not going to be any calls for help. Mason kind of releases him. Captain Atherson says, for God's sakes, man, why? This was supposed to be your life's work. Finnegan says, ship's got to be worth, what, a couple hundred million? Canton shoots back $487.6 million. Finnegan goes on, insurance, that's what the torpedoes are for. You... You loot the ship and then sink it for the insurance. Canton retorts, I spent my entire fortune building this ship. I'll be damned if I'm going to lose it to a bunch of pencil neck bankers. Captain Atherton doesn't understand. The ship was operating at full capacity. Canton says, but the problem is the cost of keeping it operating is a hell of a lot more than we're going to take in. Joey slams a locker and yells, you mean we're all going to die because you screwed up on the math? And we kind of see behind uh, Joey that Trillian is now sort of, she changed into more uh, like a tank top, a shirt, and pants. Finnegan says, what about the passengers? Were they insured? Canton says he may be a crook, but not a savage. The passengers and crew would have been safely evacuated in lifeboats. Finnegan snorts, and Canton says, don't get self-righteous with me, Mr. Finnegan. I know all about you. The captain starts attacking Canton and yelling at him. As Hanover breaks them up, Trillian grabs the gun that Canton was trying to take earlier, and she puts it in the back of her pants. Finnegan sees her do it and says, I like it. And they kind of smile at each other. This is when we're kind of warming up to uh, Trillian. Yeah, I like this. I like that exchange. Joey is standing in the back of the room watching everyone uh, on Hanover's team bicker when some goo starts dripping on his shoulder. He turns around and sees a giant tentacle behind him. He screams and runs back to the group. We see in the exposed ceiling of the room that the tentacle is everywhere and has spikes sticking off of it. Then we see a large mass moving through the inside of the tentacle and kind of a hand sort of pushes out. Finnegan shoots the mass and blood and glue goo fly all over Hanover's men. I love how Mason screams. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) me too. Then something falls out of the hole in the tentacle and then stands up. It's a screaming, half-digested Billy. He takes a step toward them and falls over. 
This moment is the highlight of the movie, and I think it's what everybody, if they've ever seen this movie just once, it's what everybody remembers. Yeah, this to me is like my second favorite scene of the movie. And bro, as bad as the end creature CGI is, this actually holds up pretty well. I mean, if you pause it, you can kind of see where the CGI is and where where the practical effects are, but this is the merging of the two, and I think this is how CGI is best handled when it's merged with practical effects. Agreed. Yeah. No. This this is this is pretty cool looking. So uh, it it doesn't it doesn't the scene is powerful. You're not distracted by bad CGI. That's great. I love it. And as shitty as Billy was, I kind of fucking feel bad for him here. Well, when you fi- when you find out soon after what goes on inside the bodies of these creatures uh makes it even more like shocking it, it it colors a reviewing of it you know yes they all start shooting the tentacles in the ceiling and screaming they run out of the room and see tentacles everywhere they shoot them as they keep running mason yells these things are everywhere joey can't get his gun to work and then when he does like the recoil knocks him to his ass i bet you hated that didn't you well, I'm I'm just like it it's it's so intense. It's such an intense scene. You're being I don't need that comedy. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want that in that moment. I I want it to keep I want the energy to be up versus yeah. the beat of like, oh, okay. But I, I get it. Look, I get it. I, I get on one hand people might say, look, uh, you know, you don't typically see a movie where the majority of the of the of the people in the movie are the villains, you know? fighting their way out that's unique it's different then that's cool i get that it's just i'm like yeah or that were the comedy throughout i'm like i don't need fucking ab and costello 24 7 with this guy yeah i mean we just saw a man half eaten and melted and and screaming and pleading for his life that's intense like yeah, like they, they didn't need Joey here because this scene kind of, it, it slows down a little bit, you know, like it does slow down a bit. So it sh- they should have just naturally let the scene slow down on its own, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Mason enough screaming like a little bitch is, is what, all, that's all you need. That's the, that's the min- minor bit of comedy that's there. And I'm with you. I actually never liked Joey falling down in this moment. I, I'm with you. I would have rather kept the tension high. Um, mm. Everyone is is getting separated during the chaos. Finnegan and Trillian run into each other while rounding a corner, which is funny because then here's another bit of of comedy. Uh, Finnegan says, "Geez, Louise, lady, give a guy a heart attack, why don't you?" Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I, I say "Geez, Louise" all the time, but it's such like an old person thing to say. He, I think it's hilarious. When he said it here, he felt old to me. You know, well, he is old. I know, and he looks great, but 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 I do. I feel like it works with the character because he is supposed to be old. You know, yeah. I guarantee you he's 20 years older than uh, Famke Jansen's character, Trillian. Oh, oh yeah, for fucking sure. <laughs> and dudes are like, yeah, see? That's how it works. Trillian asks, what are these things? To which Finnegan replies, real unfriendly. Again, another sort of joking moment, you know. And and you're already, like, we're already here. Like, we already would have had a joke. We didn't need Joey's joke as well. Um, yeah. he's he has He always has a joke up until a certain point and I'm like thank god he didn't have a joke right there yeah 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 i think you when he finds out that layla's dead right yeah yeah that and when he's working on the boat for that half second yeah you know yeah. at the end mm-hmm. like there you go cool 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 trillian then asks 
so you got a boat waiting outside, is that right? He says, yes, and she says, let's make a deal here. You get me to your boat, and Finnegan says, I can have whatever I want. She begrudgingly agrees, and he says, can you get me a cold beer? And then Trillian smiles and says, funny. Just then, a tentacle hits the wall between them. Trillian runs. I like how she, if you watch it, she runs away. She's just like, I'm yeah, out. I love it. Yeah. I love that. It's, it feels it's real. natural. It's realistic. Yeah. Finnegan falls to the ground, dropping his gun. The tentacle looks around. I say it looks around. It just has no eyes, you know. Um, and it, and, and it kind of shows us its teeth in its mouth. Finnegan reaches for his gun and pulls it towards him. The gun makes a scratching sound on the metal, and the tentacle hears it and goes for Finnegan. But Trillian shoots it with the pistol she's, she picked up, you know, causing it to run off. And it's a cool scene because she's running at it, screaming and shooting. And, the you know, it's it's bloody and everything. And although I wouldn't run towards it, I'd be afraid it was going to grab her. But, you know. Yeah. But I do love how she just runs past Finnegan on the ground and says, time to go. But she doesn't help him up. She just runs past him. I like like I love that because they're Me not too. they're not connected right now like they're not like you know he's she's not his love interest right now so she's just like runs by gotta go <laughs> you know yeah I mean all all we know so far is that she thinks he's a nice guy and yeah. he is and he's being nice to her and, and he has a boat it. and that's it yeah yeah uh, he, he gets up he grabs his gun um, they meet up and he says to her I owe you one and Trillian says damn right you do get me off this boat alive and we'll call it even deal he agrees she then says, please tell me you're a man of your word. Finnegan says, absolutely. And they climb up a ladder to the level above. See, her backstory is that she probably had a boyfriend who... Well, she tried to murder. Her, but he was probably a thief also. And they did jobs together. And he turned on her. And now, you know, she's out for herself. And she was... That's all she ever knows. Yep. And he was not a man of, of his word. Yeah, that's her backstory. And I do I do think Stephen Summers knows the backstory for all of these characters intimately. Oh yeah. 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 And then when, you know, she'll she'll fall in love with Treat Williams for a minute and then she'll dump him because she wants to be back with a bad boy. Sure. That's if, what happens with women like that. Sure. They find if they make it off of of Kong Skull Island, but you know Yeah, we'll, she'll dump him. Yeah. You know, <laughs> she she'll, doesn't want the nice guy. She'll dump him for Kong. Yes. With the big dong. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's And you know it's true because it rhymes. Yes, exactly. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting what would you do where would you run where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone podcasting after dark presents seven winters alone a dystopian haunted house story by david irons available now in paperback and ebook and now back to the show we see Canton climbing stairs to a catwalk above. He stops when he sees Captain Atherton being pulled down through a hole in the catwalk by one of his legs. The captain calls to Canton for help, but he backs away in terror. Finnegan and Trillian come up from the other side and run to the captain's aid. Now, I thought that was a really good way of showing the difference between the two characters. You know, as one yeah. backs away in terror, the other one goes actually rushing to help. 
Yeah, it's 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 obvious the difference between the two. You know, Cannon's like a pure villain. He's the uh, Paul Reiser from Aliens. You know. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely the the impetus to his the, his character in Steven Sommer's mind. You know. Yeah. Everyone watches as Finnegan and Trillian try in vain to save him, but the creature breaks his other leg and pulls him through the hole in the catwalk. Oh, brutal. Originally, there was supposed to be another effect here um, uh, uh, done by Rob Bottin's people. It was a full-body cast made of Captain Atherton, the actor playing him. And when he gets crushed, his head is going to get crushed too. Brains are going to come out. His jaw is going to break and everything. They had everything built and ready to go. They pu- they did the effect. It looks amazing. And the, the, you know, the studio or the producer saw it and they were like, that's awesome. It's never going to make it in the movie because it's way too fucking violent, essentially. Yeah, <clears throat> you can tell they, they cut scenes really fast with gore because in order to get away with the scene. Yeah, and I think they were trying for a PG-13, but they couldn't quite get to it. Um, but yeah, they had to make a lot of cuts. And again, this was the 90s when a lot of these movies were, were you know, sanitized, you know, like like... Throughout yeah. the the 80s, the slasher movies and violence and everything got got more and more toned down. But go back into the early 80s, late 70s. Look at that shit. That shit was wild. Oh, yeah. Everyone starts shooting and the creature retreats. Hanover yells, what the hell are these goddamn things? And Canton says, I'm beginning to fear that our friends here may be some kind of strange offshoot of the Archaea Otea family. At 4,000 feet, the Otea are about as long as a pencil with the bodies the size of a golf ball. But those at 20,000 feet have been found to eat fully grown sharks. At 30 or 40,000 feet, well, you do the math. Joey asks, are we talking some kind of mutated sea monster? Canton nods. Mason says, just tell us how to kill these motherfuckers. Canton says, oh, the Otea are very crafty. They hide in burrows and catch their victims with spiny tentacles. Then they crush them between their massive jaws. Trillian says, then they eat you, right? Canton says, no, they drink you. They drink you alive, sucking all the fluids out of your body before excreting the skeletal remains. Jesus. Jesus. Finnegan says, all right, that's it. Lesson's over. Here's the plan. Hanover cuts him off and says he's given the orders around here. Finnegan tells him to stay and give all the orders he wants. I'm getting back to my boat, cutting it loose, and getting the hell out of here. Everyone starts fo- Everyone starts following Finnegan except for Hanover's men. He nods to them and they follow and they all follow Finnegan too. Um, yeah, I like that. I like the the explanation of, of what they do. And then of course that adds and I they do a good job of like adding layers to these creatures because then once you know all that, then you retroactively go back and think, damn, everyone died horribly. Yeah. Yeah. The group except makes except for that half body that floated into the boat. Almost like that guy got out the best, probably. Yeah. She <laughs> the group makes their way through the ship finnegan asks which way they should go and canton tells them there's an underpass at the end of the passageway uh on the port side that will take them to the upper levels mulligan says it's the starboard side he has the blueprints right here canton reiter canton reiterates port side and says who do you think gave you those blueprints sparks pop from a light above them and everybody jumps 
Joey asks, could it get any worse? Just then the power cuts out and Finnegan says, thanks, Joey. They turn on their flashlights and proceed through the ship with caution. Joey starts humming the girl from Impanima when ever, and then everyone looks at him. And he says, it's the song stuck in my head. Okay, so I get it. He starts doing it because he's a fucking spaz, right? And then acknowledges that kind of in the way, like, sorry, guys, song stuck in my head. But what happens right after that? He starts doing it again. <laughs> he does. He actually does. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. People would have been like, shut the fuck up, dude. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. This thing is attracted to sound. Yeah. No, you're you're not wrong. You're not. I don't hate this, but you're not wrong. That's. Uh, that's I hate this scene. Huh? It's so stupid. Yeah, I know. To me, I'm like, oh, it drives me nuts. I know. I know. And I think this is where, like, it's like, I always like this scene. Whereas I think, like, again, like we said earlier, I think we're both like it the same as a whole, but we like different parts and dislike different parts about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The group comes to a part of the ship that's been flooded. Canton says they must have ripped a hole in the ship. The power of these things is awesome. Finnegan says, glad you're so impressed. <laughs> yeah. Mulligan and Mason check a side door, but it's bent and won't open. Trillian says they can't go back the way they came. Finnegan asks Canton for any suggestions, and he says there are more hatchways on the other side. That's the only way. Mulligan confirms on his computer printout or blue blueprint thing that you know his ipad thing you talked about earlier. on his ipad yeah, yeah. <laughs> hanover, <That's waterproof. laughs> hanover asks how far and mulligan says about 20 meters here's where zach and i are both in agreement. we have no idea how far 20 meters is david can you tell us you tell us david <laughs> i could look it up right now but i really don't want to no like uh, no i'm proud of the fact that i have no idea how far a meter how long a meter is yeah this may sound really what do you call it? Uh, 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 anglophobic or whatever. Or American but, or something. Yeah, but <laughs> if it's an American movie, I want to know what the American measurement is. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I agree with you, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I'm with you 100%. And I actually thought the exact same thing. America. Finnegan says somebody's <laughs> going to have to go down there and check. Joey says that he votes to wait here. Trillian says me too. Finnegan says he'll go, but points at Hanover and says, but you're coming with me. Mulligan laughs and Hanover says, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Finnegan says, if we make it through, I'll fire two rounds. That means it's safe. He then grabs the pistol from Trillian and gives it to Hanover and says, let's give the lady a real gun, shall we? Hanover motions to Mason to hand over his gun to her. She takes it and Hanover says, be careful with that. That's got a hell of a kick. And this is like the parts where you think like 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 Hanover and Mulligan or and Mason are all starting to be cool, you know, and you think they're going to be good guys. Maybe like they'll have a, a twist, you know, they'll 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 come around, you know, at least Hanover. Uh, he gives you no reason to truly like dislike him up to this point. Yeah, he this is his operation. He's in charge. But like there's a level of respect there, yeah. it seems like. Um, that would have been the smart choice, in my opinion, for him to turn in a good way and for him when he does come to his death for it to be a sympathetic one, but they don't do that or a heroic death or a heroic death, but they don't do that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, man, come on. Like, don't, don't bitch him out that way. That's just 
my two cents. Yeah, and uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I wanted to see Wes Studi, you know, come back around. I, I actually kind of liked the Hanover character. I thought he was kind of cool, you know? Um, but yeah, it's it, yeah, it's interesting. Although I don't hate what happens. It's just I wish we saw maybe like like a, him do the right thing in the end or something. Yeah, I don't hate what happens either. I just think it was just like silly. And it's interesting, like, like talking this out with you, I never realized all these things. I never realized that, like, everyone here is a bad guy. No one really, like, at least on Hanover's team, has any kind of, like, sort of redemption moment, really. It's it's interesting when you start tracking that because I feel like that's something that in, a, in the current climate, you know, uh, thir- almost 30 years later, movies are, are different. Storytelling's a bit different. There's different tropes now, and I think that would have been a trope. I think Hanover would have turned uh, face instead of heel at the end, to to yeah. use a wrestling terms. If this was made 30 years later, they would have, they all, all would have been gray characters because mm-hmm. that's the period we're in right now. Yeah. Joey says, well, if we're going for a swim, I think it's your turn to carry the parts. And he hands the bag to uh, Finnegan. Finnegan says, this is turning out to be one hell of a day. He- <laughs> He takes a few deep breaths and dives in with Hanover and Mulligan behind him. They start swimming through the submerged part of the ship. Mulligan kind of lags behind, then a severed hand floats down in front of him, causing him to panic. He swims to the surface where Finnegan and Hanover help him out of the water. Back on the other side of the wall, Canton, Mason, Trillian, and Joey are waiting to hear that it's all clear. Mason says, I don't mean to sound like a pussy, but this shit is starting to freak me out, man. I love that. I love that line. (laughs) Me too. Genuine. Me too. Joey looks at Trillian and says, (laughs) I like this line. Can you just get asthma or do you have to be born with it? (laughs) That was funny too. Yeah. Just then they hear the creature in the hallway behind them. They all turn around and see it coming for them as a mass of tentacles. Joey closes the hatch and locks it. Canton dives into the water and starts swimming. The rest of them hold their ground as the creature busts through the door and comes in. Trillian shoots, and the recoil knocks her into the water, which was foreshadowed by Hanover. Yep. Joey dives in after her, and then Mason does as the creature retreats back. We follow Mason swimming through the water until he's grabbed from behind by the creature. Joey looks back and screams as Mason gets eaten. We see him pull a grenade and prime it as as he gets dragged into the darkness. The grenade explodes, killing Mason. Uh, By the way, that explosion was uh, an an actual explosion effect like a plate from Hunt for the Red October. So that they just took that and used that in here. So, you know, as much as Stephen Summers complained about later... Disney reusing interior shots of this, he, his team also reused, you know, stuff from Run for the Red October. Yeah, sorry, dude. Call a spade a spade. That's right. And by the way, uh, that scene is like twofold for Mason because not only is he, you know, taking the cool way out of like blowing part of the thing up, but it like, I don't blame him too because no. I don't want to get sucked in and sucked. Dude, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, no. He dies, I guess, the best, or I should say, if I was in that situation and I was going to be one of the guys that dies, I would hope that I was Mason. On the other side, Finnegan is looking down at the water and he sees Joey come up. He gives him a hand. The group seems to be in a kitchen area. Mulligan is flipping out over the news of Mason dying. Finnegan asks Canton where they go next. He says there are more elevators through the hatchway on the other side of the room. 
Mulligan says, fuck elevators. And Joey and Trillian agree. Finnegan asks how long they can expect to be rescued, but Hanover says he ain't waiting for one. Canton says it'll be another 24 hours before they start searching. They all agree that they'll be dead uh, by then with those creatures crawling around. Mulligan closes the door and locks it. He says they should all stay here and wait to be rescued. Joey has a change of heart and sides with Mulligan. He says they, they have all the food they need right here. Canton agrees and says that the area was built almost entirely airtight in case of fire. They'll be safe, but Finnegan doesn't agree. He says he doesn't care what Mulligan does, but he's pushing forward. Mulligan puts his gun to Finnegan's chest and tells him to back off. He thinks they should make a stand right here, right now. Joey chimes in and says the boat's infested. They'll never make it to the boat, never make it to their boat anyways. Finnegan says he's not staying down there, and that's a fact. Mulligan says he'll kill Finnegan if he opens the hatch. Hanover agrees with Finnegan, which is, you know, again, pointing towards a possible face turn for Hanover later. Right. And says they aren't staying, but Mulligan turns his gun on Hanover and says, I say we are. Hanover points his gun at Mulligan and says, back off, soldier, before I put you down. Now we get a little uh, little monologue from Finnegan. He says, I once saw a guy put a fish in a bottle, and then he corked it, sealed it tight, and threw it to a baby octopus. Now the octopus, he felt all around that bottle, and in less than two minutes, he got the cork off, slid inside, and ate the fish. Joey asks, and the moral of the story is? And Trillian says, we're the fish. Trillian walks to Mul- over to Mulligan and says, uh, the ship is already sinking. She doesn't want to drown. Finnegan adds, look, Mulligan, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to get my ass to the surface, pray to God my boat is still there, and these things aren't crawling all over it, and then I'm getting the hell out of here. Mulligan seems like he's about to agree when everyone looks behind him in shock and starts backing away. Mulligan knows. He knows. He's, you know, he knows. He knows the creature's behind him. He's kind of doing the, what, 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 guys, what, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. It's cliche. Yeah, it is. It is cliche. But he doesn't die right here because he quickly fires behind himself and spins around and sort of fights off the creature, which this is cool. Yeah. Um, it goes it goes back up the the oven vents, you know, where sort of it came out of. And Mulligan yells in celebration, you're nothing. And he keeps looking at the vent and doesn't see the one behind him until he turns around. It eats him as he screams and kind of thrashes him around. And I should have mentioned, when he shoots the one, everyone else goes running through the door. Yeah. And so you you thought Mulligan was maybe also going to turn face, but he kind of doesn't. No, he had a moment there. He had a moment, but... Uh, you know what would have been cool if after he destroyed it, instead of talking shit to it and being all cocky... If he, if he was like, fuck this, I'm leaving. Yeah. And goes to follow after them, and then he gets grabbed and pulled away. Again, I will take that rewrite in our remake. I mean, it's simple. It's like it, it, it in that moment, he makes him a sympathetic character. Yep. Yeah. I'm, dude, I'm with you, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up everything you're putting down. It's, and again, I want to reiterate, I still love this movie. Like, me too. Prob- problems me too. and all, I think it's a fun ride. Especially, it's one of those movies where if you just let it wash over you, it is a blast. But when you start digging into it, there's little problems here and there. And, you know, this yeah. podcast episode is going to be three plus hours. So, of course, we're going to talk about the problems. But <laughs> always keep in mind, because I do feel like we're sort of emphasizing the problems a bit. 
keep in mind, I still have a blast watching this movie from beginning to end. Yeah, no, and in 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 yeah, even though I'm focusing on a lot of that stuff, I do really enjoy this movie a lot. It's a lot of fun. And I also just want to reiterate that everything you've pointed out, except for saying that you didn't think all of that Hanover's men knew each other, everything else you've pointed out, I have completely agreed with you, bro. Yep, like that dead chick in the boat. <laughs> yep, just like that dead man chick. <laughs> The remaining members of the group quickly make their way through the boat, but the creature starts closing doors and passageways. Finnegan realizes that they are being herded. Canton says they are being pushed towards the bow of the ship. They all look at the door at the end of the hallway and Trillian asks, what the hell is at the bow of the ship? They slowly walk towards the door they are being herded to and open it. They see another passage, but Canton says that it just takes them back the way they came. They keep moving forward, and Trillian looks back at Canton, who's sort of pretending to be out of breath. She asks if he's coming, and he says he's right behind her. When she's out of sight, he goes down that other passage. He pulls a he pulls a riser. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's when I cued in on the Paul Riser thing right here. Yeah. Finnegan, Trillian, Hanover, and Joey make it to their destination. It's a huge storage area covered in the remains of the dead and this is cool because the camera kind of shoots into like around them and into the this area and as it kind of looks at all the bodies we hear the phantom screams of them and i that i actually think is very effective yeah it's really cool the 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 overall scene is grotesque in 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 the best way yeah, Very creepy. The, yeah, the practical stuff in this is awesome. The gooey yeah, skeletons so are my favorite part of the movie. Yep, same, same. Joey asks in horror, what the hell is this? Finnegan says it looks like some kind of feeding ground. Hanover says it looks like a dead end to me. He, he looks around and asks where Canton is. Just then they hear a horrible noise, like metal being ripped apart. Trillian says, oh my God, they're breaking through the hall. And the back wall bursts open and water shoots, flooding the whole room as as our group runs back the way they came. We kind of see some doors automatically seal behind our group as they run from the tidal wave of water. It's actually a reused set. You can tell. Uh, Joey runs through it as the door's closing with water behind it. And then later we see Finnegan. I mean, the camera's in the exact same place and everything. And you can tell they just like, okay, reset it. Let's do now, you know, for Finnegan. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, totally. This time it's just filled with the guts of all the victims. Exactly. <laughs> Finnegan and Trillian get separated from Joey and Hanover in the confusion. As they are running through the ship, Finnegan and Trillian catch up with Canton, who starts running from them. He runs into a room and locks the hatch while the water hits Finnegan and Trillian. In a different part of the ship, Hanover and Joey are in knee-high water running from the roars of the creature. Joey grabs Hanover and they sort of both fall over. Joey says he's sorry but loses his gun in the water. Hanover pulls two grenades and Joey takes one of them and throws it without priming the bomb. (laughs) Hanover says, you idiot, and primes his and throws it. Joey yells, you didn't tell me to do that. And the explosion sends them flying. You know, you think Hanover's going to turn face, but he turns heel in a second. You know what? Maybe he he wouldn't have turned heel if he wasn't stuck with Joey. You know what I mean? Yeah, if he wasn't so annoyed with Joey, it, it... Does make sense. This kind of does make sense. Fight or flight to survive. 
but what happens soon after Sucks. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's lame. Finn- it, it really is. Like, come on, don't cheese him out that way. Finnegan and Trillian make their way past another automatic door. This is this is the reused, you know, set, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but Finnegan tries to hold it open. He says he lost the parts to his boat back there, and they aren't going anywhere without him. The door shuts, and they see more water coming from a different passage and run through another automatic door that shuts behind them. We see Hanover and Joey still plodding through knee-high water, and they can hear the creature behind them. Joey says they're ca- it's catching up, and they have to slow it down. Hanover says the only way to slow it down is to feed them. Joey screams, what are we going to feed them? And Hanover shoots him in the leg and keeps running. Yeah, and then this is when you're like, God damn it, Hanover, you know? I mean, when he does that to him, like, well, you know, he is out for himself. And, and then Joey is annoying, and Joey has been annoying since the beginning of the movie to him so no great loss to hanover and his to head, him you know yeah. yeah yeah joey scrambles into a dumb waiter and closes the hatch as the creature shoots past him canton makes it outside onto the side deck again the side deck and <laughs> i don't know what it's called and says oh my god it's sinking then he laughs and says it's going to sink because it's what he wanted you know there's a flash of light and canton sees an island in the distance Trillian and Finnegan are running along the outside deck towards Canton, and Trillian asks Finnegan if he saw the island. Finnegan says yes, and they got to get to it. He looks down and sees his boat is still attached to the ship. Trillian says, that heap of junk is your boat? That's another Star Wars vibe. Not a direct quote, but it's definitely a vibe. It's it's Princess Leia's, oh, yeah. you know, what she says. Yeah. You, you came here on that hunk of junk? You know, that thing. Uh, and Fillion asks if she's got a better one. Uh, then he lowers down this crane thingy. It took me five minutes to figure out what to say, and I ended up with crane thingy. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> For them to ride down. Uh, Trillian asks if his boat will make it to the island without the spare engine parts, and he says, not a chance in hell. She asks what they're doing then. Finnegan says he has a plan. Cut to Joey limping into the casino room. It seems quiet, and he falls over and leans back against a poker table. He looks over and sees Hanover's gun on the ground and reaches for it. Just then, Hanover grabs him from the top of the table. Joey screams and breaks free from his grip and falls down and points his gun at him. Hanover isn't saying anything, though. He's just shaking and wincing in pain. Joey stands up and sees a creature slowly pulling Hanover into its mouth. And every time, like, it's, it's spikes go into Hanover's, into Hanover, he's like, it looks painful as fuck, dude. Yeah, it's, yeah, because you know what's happening to him. He's being sucked. He's slowly not being not in a good way. Yeah, not in a good way. The worst way. <laughs> uh, being felched. Yeah. Joey runs away, <laughs> but kind of stops. He turns around and walks back to Hanover and gives him his gun. Joey says, don't say I never gave you nothing. Then Joey walks back to the door of the casino, and Hanover shoots at him and misses. Joey yells back, you asshole, and runs away. Hanover puts the gun to his temple and pulls the trigger. Click. Nothing. Hanover screams as the creature eats him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, like, at this point, like, he couldn't turn face after shooting Joey in the leg. Like, he can't do that. You know what I mean? But 
but I, I, I also, this was the second death that I disliked. So Layla's death first, then this one. I was like, damn it. I, I liked Hanover. And we, we saw that maybe he was going to turn, you know, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, I get it. At this point, the movie could have gone one or two ways. It could have gone the noble route and done something legit and cool. Or you're just going for straight comedy at this point. That's just a straight comedic scene. For, and for me, I don't personally like the mixture of comedy to that degree. But it is what it is at this point. I'm like, oh, you're just going straight slapstick now. Because that's a slapstick scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not only does he shoot miss miss him when he shoots at him, but then he that was the last bullet he had. And it was like, you know. And, whop, whop, whop. and Joey's saying, you know, you asshole. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, to me, I'm just like, nah, I wouldn't have put him out that way. But. Yeah. And then also it's like we, we love West Studi and we just, we, we would rather see him go out shooting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, instead of putting the trigger to his head, just taking one more shot at the thing and yeah, and then getting engulfed. There you, know? you go. But um, whatever. It is fine. <laughs> Back on Finnegan's boat, we see Trillian on top of the deck. She jumps into the opening of the Argonautica where they originally entered by grappling hook. Okay, so I just want to explain this. Since the ship is sinking where the Argonautica is sinking. Now the, the, that hatch that they went through at the beginning that they had to grapple up to that hatch is now exactly level with Finnegan's boat. And that's cool. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And it's not something Continuity. I actually picked up until this time watching it, you know, me too. Me yeah. too. Finnegan tells her to grab the keys and make sure it has gas. We kind of don't know what he's talking about right there. Um, she looks at the jet ski and then looks around the room and says, there's got to be keys somewhere. So we know that she's, she wants to ride the jet ski or the Sea-Doo. And it's like Sea-Doo number three is the one that looks like it's still functioning. Well, it, we know it's Sea-Doo number three because it's the only Sea-Doo that's sitting there bobbing back and forth like, hi. With the giant number three me. on the front of it. Giant number three. Yeah. And it's yellow. Like, it's like, yeah. look at me. Yeah, and I, honestly, this, that bird. honestly, this sea dew is the true hero of the movie. It sure is. <laughs> yeah, when when she gets to the keys, do they are the keys on a on a slinky fob like one of those wrist things that you put around your wrist? Yeah, uh, I think so. Or in with like the the floaty device on it and everything. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because I was like, I would put that around my wrist, but you know, instead of holding it in my hand for people to grab yeah. from and everything. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, in Finnegan's boat, he checks to see that the torpedoes are still armed. Joey comes up behind him and startles Finnegan. Joey says, did you miss me? Finnegan says to quit screwing around. He then tells Joey to get to the engine room and give him any power he can. Joey says, no, Joey, I'm happy to see you. No, Joey, what happened to your leg? (laughs) Finnegan says, Joey, you want to be the appetizer or the entree? (laughs) (laughs) Joey says, I'm on it. Give me the parts. Finnegan kind of mumbles something. Then he says he lost them. And Joey screams back, you what? And I love how Finnegan says, go with the flow, Joey. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, it is funny. I I do like this whole exchange. Yeah. He goes, I got a plan. Uh, Joey says, without these parts, the boat won't get more than a city block. But Finnegan says, that's all he needs. Now get moving. Joey sort of looks around and composes himself before he asks, Layla? Finnegan looks back and says, I don't think she made it. 
And then I, I like that there's no funny comeback. There's nothing. Joey just gets to work on the engine. And he's got, you know, cue a montage. You see him working on it, and he kind of clears some some tears from his eyes. And there's no funny moment about it. And best I like part, that. Be, yep, best part of the best part of the movie for, for Joey, in my opinion. And I want to remember that because he doesn't sit down. He doesn't take a beat. He gets to work right away. Unlike someone later on when they think someone's dead, where they sit down and take a moment because this fucking monster is driving through the whole ship right now, and someone's and it could come out and attack you. So you got to get to work fast. Yeah. yeah, it's it's relentless. And I know the part you're talking about, and I completely agree. And I'll, we'll call it out when we get there. <laughs> I completely agree. Completely. But I still agree. love the movie. Yeah. No. Again. Again. <laughs> reiterate. I still love this movie. It just has a wealth of problems. That's a delicious meal. Yeah, I'm going to take a shit on it and still eat it. And still call it delicious, even though yeah. it has my pile of shit right on it. It's weird. Guys, it's a weird love affair we are having with this movie right now. Uh, again, I love this movie. Uh, Me too. So there's a montage, which is a fun little montage. Uh, we also see Finnegan is uh, setting the autopilot and the path. We kind of can see it's going to go. the boat is going to go out, circle back, and come back around towards the Ar- Argonautica. Finnegan turns the engine over, and Joey says his goodbyes to the ship. Back in the jet ski room, Trillian is smashing gla- the glass uh, and taking the keys to the third Sea-Doo when Canton comes up behind her with his gun drawn. It looks like a shotgun, but it's actually a, a double-shot flare gun. Never seen one of those before. Neither have I, because every flare gun we've ever seen in a movie ever is just red. It's a red flare gun. This is a shotgun that takes flares, I guess. She says, shit. And he says, nice to see you again, too. Uh, Trillian reaches for her gun, but Canton tells her to stop. Then he tells her to give him the key to the sea dew. He'll take her with him. She asks, what about the others? And Canton says, <laughs> so I, I love it. Anytime anybody says, fuck them. <laughs> they have to go down with the ship. That's how it works. Now give me the key. As he's walking towards her, Canton trips and falls. This buys Trillian enough time to run through a door as Canton fires a flare at her. It almost hits her, but blows up on the wall next to her, which is a good good effect. Yeah. Outside on the deck of the boat, Finnegan and Joey see the flare burst coming from inside the room. Uh, Finnegan tells Joey to go back inside and cut the engine and runs in the Argonautica. As Joey's there, he yells, shit. Cut to Trillian running down a hallway with Canton in pursuit. He fires another flare, and she dives out of the way, barely dodging it. In the lower decks, Finnegan is cautiously making his way through knee-deep water. Trillian runs into the atrium and backs away slowly from where she comes from, but bumps into Canton, who's already behind her. He puts the gun to her chin and says, I've never actually killed anybody before. Well, not on purpose, that is. I mean, he, he killed thousands of people. He killed Vivo. He killed Vivo! Yes! Trillian gives him the keys and tells him she'll just walk away, but Canton says, no witnesses allowed. He puts the gun to her mouth and says, I actually do like this piece of dialogue. He goes, I don't think this will be quick, but it'll be interesting. Before he can pull the trigger, Finnegan kicks in the door and starts shooting. Trillian grabs the key back from Canton as he sort of backs away. Finnegan keeps shooting but doesn't hit him. 
They kind of stare at each other, and then Canton runs as Finnegan sort of shoots behind him, you know, making him go. Finnegan's not trying to kill him, essentially. Yeah. Just then, the whole atrium starts to shake, and Trillian and Finnegan back away from the center of it. The ground explodes, sending furniture and debris everywhere. When the dust clears, we see a giant tentacled creature emerge from the level below. They both stare in shock and horror at the terrible CGI. (laughs) Seriously. Oh, my God. It is just like this bulbous... It's it's worse than like Resident Evil One video game. Yeah, it's like it's just so bad. It's so so bad. But there, but fortunately, you've got two competent actors selling the shit out of it. Agreed, absolutely agreed. Um, uh, Treat Williams and Fomke Johnson are doing a great job selling this scene right here, and the creature design is cool looking it's just you know they're using like low res textures and everything you know like i wouldn't change the way the creature looks i would just make it look better you know yeah make it look more skin like versus computer like yep exactly and also knowing that that there was a small chance that the blob would have been cgi we talked about it on our blob review i am so glad because that was like 10 years prior to this. Imagine how bad that would have fucking looked. Right. This 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 is up there just as bad as the CGI in the Last Starfighter where they're like, "We use CGI dude, for the first time." And dude. you're like, "Yeah, well, that's still a piece of shit on the ground." I <laughs> love the Last Starfighter, and anytime you see that CGI asteroid, you know where the base is, the resistance yeah. base is, I call that Hair Mountain. It looks like just a vomit pile of hair. It doesn't look like rocks at all. It's one of the nope. worst CGIs ever. And then later, there's more CGI. That's another movie. Again, another one where I just wish it was the same movie and somebody just went back and beefed up the CGI. Why is Star Trek the only thing that ever did that? Because they had the money for it. That's why. I guess. I yeah. mean, or go back and use practical effects and just like reshoot the scene. Finnegan says, now there's something you don't see every day. Trillian says it's time for them to go, and Finnegan agrees. But as they're backing away, the creature grabs Finnegan and lifts him in the air. Finnegan loses his machine gun, but he still has his shotgun on his back. It's the shotgun that he had on the back of his chair in the boat. He put it on his back when he went back to it. You know, we didn't track it, but if, when you watch the movie, it's cool that they actually, you know, he, he grabs it. You see it and everything. Yeah, I love that shotgun. <laughs> and I love when he... I love when Finnegan hammer fist punches, you know, kind of like uh, William Shatner in Star Trek, uh, the creature that's, you know, wrapping around him. But then the creature punches him in the face with its own tentacle. That's funny. Hilarious. It then brings Finnegan right up to its, its eye to get a good look at its prey. But Finnegan draws his shotgun and explodes its eye, causing the creature to drop him. Finnegan puts a few more rounds into the creature's tentacles and tells Trillian to get to the cargo bay. And she goes running. Back on his boat, so like it's weird because now it's like it's a weird cut because now it's like back on his boat, Finnegan is yelling to Joey that it's time to get the hell out of here. When he gets to the bridge, he finds the windows broken, goo everywhere, and no Joey. In his hat. Yeah. His fucking hat. Finnegan looks around and sees Joey's hat on the keyboard. He picks it up and sits down and puts his hand on his head. 
He then hears the creature's roar in the distance and his face changes to determination. And this, when I was tracking it, even though I gave it a little flare at the end, I got to say, when I was trying, I was like, the first time I watched it, I was like paying attention, but I didn't really pick up on this. And I was, then I was typing it out and I was like, Finnegan, what you doing, man? Fucking what you, you don't be sitting there, man. We got to be moving right now. You know? Yeah. It's yeah, not the sorry. time to take a beat. No. In the jet ski cargo bay, Trillian comes running down the stairs. She grabs her gun from where she left it and slowly walks to the sea dew. <laughs> Behind her, Finnegan lands in the water and she turns around shooting at his feet. Finnegan yells, Jesus, lady, watch it, will you? And so that's, I like all the Treat Williams comedy stuff. And, and yeah, maybe that's all we needed. You know, maybe we don't need Joey as all, you know, in, in this because there's enough comedy with Treat. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's balance. Outside, we see Canton running across the Argonautica's side deck. It's the same set they've been using, guys. When he spots Finnegan's boat boat below beginning to pull away. He can't climb down fast enough, so he yells no and jumps. Canton breaks his leg when he lands compound, on the deck. <laughs> compound fracture. Not as bad as Barbara Crampton's compound fracture in From Beyond, which we reviewed a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, um, but still a pretty gnarly compound fracture. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. Okay. In the half-submerged jet ski cargo hold, again, I didn't know what that was called either, so I just called it that, Finnegan and Trillian are on the Sea-Doo about to make the leap out the door. Finnegan says he'll have to get up some speed first. He drives the sea dew back to the to the back of the room and turns around before gunning it. Right before they get to the ramp, one of the creatures pops out and blocks their path. They turn around and drive the sea dew down the flooded hallways with the creature in fast pursuit. Finnegan keeps shooting back and having Trillian cock his gun. That's cool. On Finnegan's boat, Canton crawls his way to the bridge and sees the autopilot screen showing him the path of the boat. Is turning around and heading back to the Argonautica. Finnegan and Trillian keep racing through the quarters of the ship until they get to a closed elevator. Finnegan shoots the door controls for, for it to open, then has Trillian cocked the shotgun, and he shoots the other door controls, making both sides of the elevator open so they can drive through it. It's one of those elevators that has dual doors. Of course, it closes behind them, blocking the creature's path. Have you ever it's, ridden, ridden on one so of those maintenance or those service elevators or whatever that sort of have the two openings oh yeah like lax they have them yeah. you know uh all the time but uh but yeah th this this last five minutes of the movie is like so silly but like you gotta just gotta let it all go it, it's you know yeah he blows he shoots the elevator door open and it closes right behind him as he's going out you know and it's it is it's totally fine i have no problem with it it's it's highly under he's like doing 180s yeah. with the sea do in a hallway um it's preposterous but in a good way yeah. it's silly and it's fun no and i completely agree with you and i'll also add that you know, this, I feel like it's very much, again, like we said earlier, a, a sign of the times. Like, it's very much a, 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 yes. um, yeah, a time capsule of this style of movie making back in the late 90s. Yeah. It, you know, it started with Stallone and Schwarzenegger and, like, over the top. Oh, my God, I can't believe they survived. And then now you're using, like, everyday kind of actors doing that shit and still trying to hold it up to that, like, suspension of disbelief right because it's a post diehard world so we want to see everyday people in crazy situations yeah 
Yeah. Canton makes his way onto the pilot seat and tries to change course, but the controls are locked. He screams as as Finnegan's armored speedboat collides with the Argonautica and blows up, sending Finnegan's surfboard flying through the air. So they had to add the surfboard um, because uh, originally Joey was supposed to die right here. This was it, right? Um, test audiences, the, the ending of this movie is is different. Um, test mm. audiences didn't like the fact that that Kevin J. O'Connor's character dies, so they kind of had to add it, had him back in. And then the, they talk about on the DVD, the Blu-ray has a lot of extras on it. I highly recommend this Kino uh, uh, Blu-ray. Um, but they talk to somebody, and they're like, look, we had to go back and to figure out how to bring him back. And it looks easy in the movie, but we had to figure out how to do it. And we saw that there was the the surfboard you know originally on the boat and so they added that in flying towards the camera and you're like you see it now and it seems so logical and seamless but they had to reverse engineer it that way wow interesting uh that that is interesting i wonder if the test audience well i guess the test audience clearly enjoyed his uh joey's humor because they want to keep him alive but they, uh they wanted yeah they wanted more of him but but uh, I will say this this is one of the most disappointing deaths in the in the movie because this is a character that you loathe and yet he's not going to get sucked by the creature he simply just dies in an explosion that's it that's actually the better way to be taken out if you're going to get killed than versus uh, Hanover's character so I feel like the flip should have happened where he got sucked and and Hanover you know. Uh, pulled a mason with what had one more grenade or maybe joey goes back got the grenade that he threw maybe that well no because he hanover threw that grenade and exploded and probably exploded the other grenade but But, let's say it's so ridiculous he goes back and grabs a grenade gives it to him just and, and joey just says don't don't say i never did anything for you and then ran off right and then this guy uh you know it the boat explodes or whatever, but he's still alive. Maybe, you know, and, and he, 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 or he, he like dives off and you know, he tries to crawls and jump, jumps off or something in the water. He's in the water and he's like, he's yeah. And he's treading water. And then that thing sucks him under. Yeah. And I'm with you. I actually wish Canton got eaten. It would have been more fitting if he got eaten. He just got killed in the very like typical bad guy way. Yep. The big explosion way. Inside the Argonautica, Finnegan and Trillian are racing towards the opening as the ship explodes all around them. They fly through the opening just as the whole boat erupts and we see the cover of the VHS box, which is them in the air, you know, with the flames yeah, behind it, them. It, it's it's probably it's one it, it's so bad because they're like yeah. they look like someone just took a, a scantron or a overhead projector uh, thing and put it on top of the screen so bad well it's not as bad as in the atrium the huge creature uh, screams and then explodes into cgi chunky bits oh that's so bad too it's it's just oh it's so bad i know i know it's it's not shame it's not satisfying it's so bad that it's not satisfying yeah it's not satisfying we see finnegan and trillian race towards the island you know what it is about treat williams too even when he's terrified because they're they shoot out of the boat and they're like oh screaming he doesn't sound terrified he just sounds like a guy yelling out yeah he doesn't sound like i don't buy his fear yeah 
Yeah. Um, well, I don't think he, but I don't think he's supposed to have any because, again, pushing back to this era, true. he's okay. he's you know he's he's, he's a tough guy. Yeah, he's a tough guy. He and and he's Brendan Fraser's character in in the Mummy, and he's not going to be scared or whatever. It's just it's just not going to happen because it's true. That's the era of the time, you know. No, you're right. You're, yeah. yeah, totally. The next morning, Finnegan is trying to fix the sea dew, but the engine is shot. They're on the island now. Then he says, yeah, they made it to the island. They made it to six days, seven nights. <laughs> Where's Tim Morrison? <laughs> yeah. Then he says, where are you when I need you, Joey? Trillian brings him a souvenir, a burnt life preserver from the Argonautica. Finnegan says they're stuck on this island and just the two of them. They start to kiss. Wow. Just then we see Joey paddling on the surfboard towards them. They rush into the water and pull him on the beach. Joey says it almost had him. He ran out the hatch with the creature snapping on his ass. He dove overboard and swam like hell. Then kablooey, your surfboard almost cut me in half. They all lay on the beach and laugh. Well, I want to say uh, uh, continuity is good here because he's like, watch my leg or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he does. He does. And again, th- this ending doesn't feel altered or changed. It actually feels organic. No. This makes sense, actually. It does. It really does. Yeah. And actually, it's a better ending than I don't know what I don't know what the alternate ending was, but I love this one. Uh, they all lay on the beach and laugh. Joey says, "Is it the water in my eyes, or did I see a little lip action between you two?" The only thing I'll push back is his girlfriend's still dead. You know, Layla's still dead. I know. He's a little bit jokey here. I I want. I wish He's he was a little jokey. bit more somber. Yeah, totally. It's almost as if they forgot that that Layla died, you know. I, I'm not. Well, yeah, totally. Like they wrote her off. I would have loved to have said, uh, after, after he makes that comment and then, and then she laughs. I wish she would have cut back to him and said, uh, I wish there was four of us making out or something yeah. like that. Or like I wish four of us made it out of here. Yes, I, I wish there was a callback to Layla or something like that. Or they look at him and they're like, oh man, you know, sorry or something, you know. Yeah. Because they know. Um, yeah. And then he kind of like looks around and he uh, says, this looks like a nice enough place. We then hear a loud roar coming from the island and the camera pulls back and we see something huge pushing down trees as it's coming for them. Behind them is a volcano, Skull Island. Finnegan says, now what? And we roll the credits. Now I, I'll say third favorite part of the movie. It's so I'll say at the so I'll say here. So apparently, uh, they they had they filmed this this ending scene um, on on the shores of Malibu, and it this this looks amazing, but it was really fucking hard because they they said you know the the effects people got the shot. And they were like, we don't even know what lens the, the helicopter was using. It was unsteady and everything. Basically, they were like, this was an impossible shot for us to pull off, but they made it work. I think the matte painting and the CGI mixes perfectly, it's and great. I can't tell anything about it. But like nowadays, you know, the, the effects guy to start talking, like nowadays you would have like the, the computer linked up with the camera and there would be all that. But like back then they were just like, they just filmed it and then just gave us the footage and they were like wow. what are we supposed to do with this footage you know you didn't do any of the shit that you're supposed to do like tell us what the the focal length was you didn't tell us what lens you were using you didn't tell us what the depth was you didn't wow. tell us like and then on top of it the helicopter moves at like different speeds so like basically it was an impossible task and this is probably one of the best looking effects in the entire fucking film and 
And everyone says, I wish there was a sequel to this movie. And I say there is. It's called Kong Skull Island. And I love I love Kong Skull Island, by the way. Yeah. And so you're saying that tree, uh, Finnegan's character is uh, Dr. Brule? Yes. In, uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. I, and that's what I'm saying 100%. That's my headcanon. Um, but, dude, I remember when I saw this in the theater with my friends, man, just this ending just left, on, left us on a, such a high. Oh. Everyone, we left the theater. Everyone was jazzed for this movie, man. I can't believe this fucking movie bombed because... We loved it. Everyone I talked to who saw it at the time thought it was awesome, but I guess no one fucking saw it. But hey, well, I gotta say why. I think it's because I, Treat Williams is not a—he's not a big star. He's not a draw. He's not. Yeah, he's—he doesn't draw. He doesn't draw money, and uh, and you know he's a great, great actor. And but you look at the movies that he quote unquote you know is a leading man in, and they just didn't—they didn't—they don't top things. So, but I will say. This scene, this final scene, for me, washes away all the issues that I had up to this point. Because I'm like, this climax is perfect to me. I love it. It's perfect. So everything that goes to the, everything that I shit on up up until this point, I'm like, meh, it was worth it for this. Yeah. Yeah. Worth it for this. So yeah. there's my final verdict. Yeah. Worth it for the final scene. I'm man. I, I'm with you, buddy. Um, all all the problems that that we talked about. Um, I will stand by all of them. I'll stand by everything we said. But at the same time, I'll fucking watch this movie next year. I'll oh. watch this movie probably pretty regularly at this point because with its problems, I think it's a testimony to the craftsmanship of this film with all of the problems and all of the dated CGI, it is still a fun ride from beginning to end. And I think yeah. that is a testimony to the cast, the crew, and especially Treat Williams. No doubt. I cannot wait to go from one treat to another treat. Yeah. The, and, and see what we think about that one, because I honestly haven't seen Dead uh, uh, Dead Heat for in years. Bro... I'm not going to lie to you. Dead Heat holds a very special place in my heart. Obviously, I'll reiterate this on that episode, but it holds a very special place in my heart. I saw it with my dad when I was a kid. I have never seen it since, but yet I've remembered it. Or at least, you know, I don't remember scenes, but I remembered the experience my entire life. So essentially, Deep Rising and then Dead Heat, are probably my two favorite Treat Williams movies. And if we throw in Flashpoint, that would be the other one that I would have remembered as a kid. And I've talked about that before. Uh, Flashpoint was a weird movie because I was super young and it was like a, you know, it's a drama movie. But for some reason, I really fucking liked it as a kid. Um, and I really want to rewatch it. I, I That's another one. I have not seen Flashpoint since the late 80s. I'm just writing it down because I'm actually keeping a list of all the movies. You're like... Flashpoint, maybe add that one to future lists. <laughs> no, I'm writing. I'm uh, writing a list of movies that are not available on DVD, Blu-ray, or DVD. Even. Oh shit! Is and Flashpoint like, not available? Yep, it's not. It's probably that fucking. Uh, it's probably the Tangerine Dream score might be holding it back. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he treat is. Uh, you know, I'm so glad we're we're doing a little treat fest. In between Wings and uh, <laughs> Carnage. Yeah. And uh, what a great movie to break down and discuss because 
I finally got to pinpoint what I loved and didn't love about this movie. So thank you. Nice, nice. And I can't wait to dive into uh, Dead Heat. But before we do, what you got going on over $2 Lafey in March, buddy? Is it maybe some martial arts madness? Yes, sir. Martial arts madness is rolling and running strong all month long. Uh, we're doing something that normally what Pad does on a regular basis. $2 Late Fee is releasing an episode once a week every Sunday uh, for March. And we just had a, a breakdown of our top five favorite moments from the Karate Kid trilogy. Uh, we have an upcoming interview with Jeff Speakman, the star of the movie The Perfect Weapon. Uh, we just interviewed Don the Dragon Wilson. By the time you're hearing this, we have interviewed Don the Dragon Wilson, which is uh, uh, we did a live interview with him, which you can see on our YouTube page. Uh, but also that that episode will be edited with a little bit of fun clips and whatnot uh, later on at the end of the month. So go check out Two Dollar Late Fees, Martial Art Madness spectacular we also collaborated with an artist uh, a t-shirt company called preserve dragons this guy martin go who is an independent artist much like david irons um self-produces his own stuff and he did these amazing blood fist t-shirts inspired by a don the dragon wilson movie uh and if you go to uh preserve dragons instagram which gives a link to his website or you go to our page you can uh, get 20% off if you use the code $2 late fee. Nice. $2 late fee will give you 20% off your total order Ooh. from Preserved Dragons. He makes some sick t shirts. Yeah. He I... actually made another one, a best of the best one, a while back. It's called the Zach Schaefer t shirt. So. <laughs> That's what we got going on at $2 late fee. Yeah, that, that shirt design looks great, my man. I, I saw that today and I fucking loved it, dude. That was, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, he sent me uh, and and Dustin one to promote for the show and one for Don obviously to wear, and uh, they they f- they fit great, they look great. He makes art prints and stickers too. So even if you're not a t-shirt person, but you want an art print of some of these amazing characters that he makes based on martial art movies, uh, you can do that too. I love it. I love supporting artists, man. I, I I think it's awesome, and I'm glad you guys are are working with somebody and everything. And it's it's great, dude. That's fucking yeah. awesome. And Thank you. I mean, it just made me think of you know we got Dan Parker Doodles for for Pad, right? And um, and now we got uh, uh, Preserve Dragons for a two dollar late fee. So. <laughs> Preserve Dragons and, and Dan Parker Doodles, like two amazing artists in Suspiria Land and all the people that we work with, that Pad works with. Um, I, I you love know. it. I love I love all our artist friends that we've we've made friends with on Instagram and everything. It's uh you know, we support them, they support us, we you know, we support two dollar lay fee and it's just I I love this community, you know, that we are are creating. It's it's so much fun and uh yeah. we, we hope you Get guys it. all you know, check out everything that we're doing. Uh, Zach and I actually uh, just did an interview. Uh, Might have been more fitting for Martial Arts Madness, uh, but oh, yeah. we did an interview with Leah Montalongo, who played Queen Sindel uh, in Mortal Kombat 3. Not the mo- not Mortal Kombat 2, the movie, but she actually played the, the, the character, the video game character in Mortal Kombat 3. So we had a great interview with her. It was a fantastic interview. Um, and I hope that it actually leads more to more or, uh, Mortal Kombat uh, actors in the future, but we'll see. But that interview will be dropping uh, first on our Patreon page, and then it'll be dropping on the free feeds in a couple of months. And uh, we got all kinds of good shit going. Uh, our next 
Carpenter Factor film. Oh, it's a big one. It's a big one. We're tackling Halloween this month. So uh, if you want to get in on that, uh, uh, The Carpenter Factor is a Patreon-exclusive show that Zach and I do where we basically are going through John Carpenter's entire filmography, starting with Dark Star, which we did two months ago. Uh, and we're going to be tackling you know, his two made-for-TV movies, his made-for-Showtime body bags, and ending up with, I think, The Ward, which is his last directorial movie and yeah. uh it's gonna last us two fucking years and uh and you can find all of those episodes all the future ones and all the past ones on our auteur de force tier that uh zach named it's a great name and uh once we're done with john carpenter we'll move on to a different director but right now we're tackling john carpenter for two fucking years a new movie each month it's awesome. Last month we uh, we did Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which was fucking amazing. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do Halloween with David Irons. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. We're yep. uh, I haven't honestly seen Halloween in quite a while as well, so uh, I'm looking forward to watching it again soon. And uh, I, and I, I will say one more thing: we've got a. Uh, Go check out all the shows on the BFOP network. They're all so great. Everybody's so kick-ass. So if you like what we do, you're going to like their shows too because it's the same energy flow, all that good stuff, all the nostalgia goodies. And cut right. <laughs> cut right. That's right. Adam and I are barreling our way through Seinfeld. We were halfway through season eight. And, uh, man, we're coming to the end, but we're also tackling Curb Your Enthusiasm. So check out, uh, if you like Seinfeld, check out Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. And, yeah, as Zach says, please uh, check out all the shows on the BFOP network. Also check out $2 Late Fee. Also check out our friends Ready to Retro. Check out our friends Give Me Back My Action Movies, Give Me Back My Horror Movies. They put on some great shows over there as well. Uh, We love all of our podcasts friends you know and and check out uh cinema nine podcast we're actually by the time you listen to this we will have already done a guest spot talking about 1985's the annihilators on cinema nine podcast uh if you're late to the game i just want to say follow us on instagram that's where we post all of our news and updates and everything and and if you're in the know you would have seen us last week uh doing the show live on youtube with cinema nine so check them out check everybody out check out two dollar lay fee support support artists just support artists if you like i don't give a shit what show it is if you like what they're doing support that show on patreon i don't give a fuck if it's us if it's two dollar lay fee or if it's whoever if you like somebody support them on patreon guys because it's gonna be a fucking terrible world when artists just die off because there's no money for them so you know support art that's all i gotta say and uh as always we'll catch you on the treat side Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Podcasting After Dark.